episode 302 of the Spitballing Pod. I'm Luke Byron, joined as always by Tom Kennett. Apologies for the lack of Spitballing Pod last week, that was my fault, but hopefully the three Movie Madness episodes did go some way to making up for it. If you've not already checked those out, be sure to do so. Only the two of us this week, TK, an all too familiar story. But how are things going on this uh, bank holiday? fantastic shout out to the queen and charles for uh giving us a day off <laughs> troopers well we will get started with some news of the week i can confirm that won't be in this news of the week so uh that tells you just how much has been going on actually around the world in that time and they're not reporting so, uh, it. it's good we'll... job people are coming here for their news <laughs> because there's nothing else exactly on. we'll jump straight in with that So I said it was an all too familiar story that it was just the two of us. It's an all too familiar story here as well. Doctors remove 50 AA and AAA batteries from women's gut and stomach. I mean, but is that not, that's probably a suicide attempt, isn't it? If you're doing that. I I, I didn't read past the headline. Either that or someone got it for Christmas. <laughs> Shove some batteries in it. <laughs> did, did you see the story? This week of the guy that had a can of deodorant inside his stomach for a And month. they took a picture of it. Am I right in saying that? Yeah, there was a tweet that said, you know, yeah. it's impressive when the doctors are posing <laughs> with it afterwards like a fish they've caught. There's things they've seen and they're going, God, we've got to get a picture <laughs> of this one. Um, nursing home hires a stripper to entertain their seniors in wheelchairs. <laughs> Any issue with that? Oh, good on them. That's definitely been in a movie, hasn't it? Yeah, I mean, it's probably been in plenty. Australian man, victim of rare fatal kangaroo attack. I've always been wary of that, you know. You know, when people like stood near kangaroos, I've always thought I'd be yeah. super wary of that. Ever since you see one like fighting, I don't want that work. Ever since you saw Kangaroo Jack. Exactly. They'd piece you up as well. They'd 100% piece <laughs> yeah. you And much like the, the wars we spoke about before, there's more kangaroos than people there. So they could take over if they want. 85 years since the last uh, fatal kangaroo attack. That's bad luck. That's, that's real bad luck. Chess grandmaster denies cheating by using anal beads. <laughs> Fair play for not reading into that story, because I would, I'd have to know. Well, when I tell you the next story... Um, Australian brothel offers a quickie lunch special, a slice of pie, an ice cold bottle of Coke and a 15 minute quickie for $150. <laughs> Everyone from the office just evacuating on the lunch break. Where are all the lads going? Don't worry. Um, $150, well, that's an expensive week. Are people going in there every week? Or a rare treat. <laughs> <laughs> that's a Friday you know, that pay, payday takeaways like payday quickies <laughs> well, I'd be interested in the slices of pie I think it'd um, be a generous slice that's a lot of money cherry pie indeed um, oh I was really into that headline because I've included the chess grand master headline twice um, <laughs> so I'll move past that um, we all make mistakes says woman who got bit by an octopus she put on her face. <laughs> Few animals in the world scare me like an octopus. 
Yeah. Their tentacles, any animal with tentacles, they really freak me out. Jellyfish, not having it. All of them. All of them have them little suctions on there. The second parts of the Caribbean film, I was having to almost look away when them (laughs) suction cups are on the screen. They're so horrible. Back to the whole scene. The one film they chose to like use the biggest special effects budget for in the world and they use it on making David Jones. What about that weaver fish you all got stung by? You wouldn't be worried about that, would you? Pathetic little thing. I don't think I've seen it. Oh, you, no, roundy, little... you, mocked, you mocked him for uh, getting stung by a little weaver fish. Well, if I can't see the tentacles, then I've got no issue. I just yeah. don't like them little suction cups. I think yeah. it goes in with a trypophobia. Indeed. But that is all of the news of the week for this week, so... A lot to get into, even with everything going on over here. Yeah, remarkable that stuff like that hasn't been covered, really. I think <laughs> watching BBC News thinking, I can't believe their silence is deafening over the anal beads chess master. Um, I think I actually could have done with something like that in the past week. If people are mourning that much, maybe not tell them about the kangaroo, but if you tell them about the Australian cookie lunch special, <laughs> I think the morning would subside fairly quickly. So don't don't tell Andrew and the lads that they'll be going halfway through the funeral. So where's he going? <laughs> He's been gone for fifteen minutes. First flight to Australia. Um <laughs> all right, so Man City strolled past Wolves at Molyneux on Saturday lunchtime and Jack Grealish kicked off the party with a goal after about fifty five seconds. Now I think the weekend without football meant that everyone was just finding time to talk and refocus about the topics that slipped our mind during the first six weeks when we're constantly just reacting. Hmm. And everyone seemed to turn their head in sync and look at Grealish and go, hang on a minute, (laughs) he's been having an easy ride here. And we're not letting it slide. A collective awakening. For a start, it is quite incredible how Twitter is able to almost dictate the sports news cycle when it comes to... um, like be panel shows and things like that because for Grealish to recognise that there's been a lot of chat about him this week quite unbelievable that that does just start on the timeline and then work its way out yeah I saw him like a tweet of someone going back at Goldbridge and I thought that's a fucking crazy thing to me that someone just as mental as Goldbridge you think is pretty far removed from anything serious I think who is it I think it was Paul Dickoff went back at him or something on a go. <laughs> and then I saw Jack Greenish likes to tweet and I was like, this is a fucking crazy sort of six degrees of separation here where you're only ever two two away from a footballer maybe if you're in garbage and shoes. Well, I mean, Courtois spent the aftermath of winning the Champions League beefing him, so <laughs> maybe it's a bigger deal than we're aware yeah, of. Yeah, these players need to stop doing this. It's giving him ideas. Now, thankfully... Grealish did have the self-awareness to not stick his fingers in his ears or shush the crowd, etc. Do you think he gets an easy ride? And if so, why do you think that is? Uh, I think he's not held up to as much scrutiny as a lot of other players. Um, uh, And the answer is is pretty simple. It's, It's Man City, isn't it? Nobody ultimately ever gives them as much stick as they probably deserve. Um because no one cares about them, largely. It's, it's the ultimate thing. Is they, 
they can kind of get away with an awful lot because you don't have legions of, say, Twitter followers or whatever going in on you in the way that United, Arsenal, Liverpool, etc. do. And is it as simple as the fact that they're winning? Like, if they yeah. lost the league by a point last season, then people would have looked to the 100 million man and gone, why couldn't you get us over the line? The fact that they can win in spite of him being the best player in the world or just the same player they bought from Aston Villa, that probably goes a long way to helping. Like, you can easily be out of sight, out of mind. Pepe got off far easier last year because we literally didn't see him than he did yeah. when he was making 30-plus appearances the season before. Yeah, it's a good point. And everything feels somewhat redundant for City, doesn't it? If a signing doesn't work out, it's like, well, we've got the other guy who can come in and, and it works out. The money kind of gets lost. There's so many big fees flying around that 100 million should be talked about like on a daily basis, but yeah. we don't really. Um, and it, it works both ways though as well, because I think if Grealish was performing at a high level, he probably wouldn't fully get the credit he probably deserves because at City, you probably don't. Haaland is because he's freakish. Outside of that, people like Bernardo Silva, Gunduan or whatever, probably never get their full props because they're just surrounded by so many other good players. Because I would say Sancho probably gets an easier ride than Grealish when you consider the scrutiny that is usually labelled it like a United player. I'm not sure. I mean, in, in, today's, in today's game, what is there, like 14, 15 million difference between, what was it, like 86 million, something like that? Was it, I thought it was 70-something, but regardless, it's, it's okay. a huge sum for someone who hasn't really done anything. Um, I think with Grealish, when he's having a bad game, it is far more obvious. It is far more blatant because he doesn't shy away from the ball. He doesn't hide from it at all. And when a winger has a bad game, it's like when Rashford has a bad game, it is so obvious. Hmm. Yeah. Because he's constantly going to pick it up. Played. He's constantly going to try and drive at the man. Same should have played Sancho in theory. But he doesn't know, does he? San- Sancho's bad games are him. He, he can't take his body weight to size. Yeah. And then he just passes back to Malassia mm-hmm. and then just tries drifting more centrally. I mean, I- I'm already seeing United fans online talking about how is it time to try Jaden Sancho as an eight? To be honest, yeah, <laughs> it might be. <laughs> he doesn't, yeah, um, he's just starting to have a couple of games where he might show something. So I wouldn't change it just yet. But I, yeah, I, I don't. I wouldn't say he gets less stick than Grealish. I think he gets probably a pass of his own fans at the minute, Sancho. But that can change quite quickly. But because he's not getting targeted by his own fans or by traditional media outlets I think there is a a movement online where the rest of us are all going hang on a minute Sancho's been dog shit apart from the Liverpool game where he, he did play really well to be fair to him <laughs> um, outside of that what's he really done And d- does any of this warrant the samurai kick that Nathan Collins threw Grealish's way <laughs> is he just fed up with the lack of media spotlight on him let's make this about me Collins says that was yeah that was fucking mental that is it <laughs> I don't know if he's just lost his head or what. I don't know what he was thinking. I mean, 125 Premier League appearances, 19 goals, 19 assists for Grealish. When Pep says he didn't sign him for his goals and assists, should we actually take that at face value? Uh, Yes and no. Yeah, because I think we all knew he wasn't a stat merchant. Uh, I think we probably all thought his stats would go up at sea. But 
he is a player that you don't necessarily just measure just by the raw numbers and he's a creative player who maybe might be the guy before the, the pass as well. But at the same time, when you sign for that sum of money and you go into that team, the, the raw numbers do have to pick up as well. It's kind of, we often as well present it as a choice between the two. Like you've either got to be some creative flair type player who, oh look, just trust the eye test or you've got to be totally stat padded. And in truth, in the modern game and for that sum of money, you've kind of got to do a bit of both. Yeah, because I know he he plays more centrally, but there was a narrative just starting to build around Erdegaard, wasn't there, just before the uh, goals against Bournemouth, where it was, okay, where are these numbers that you should be providing us? And then Arsenal fans that I guess are watching him far more frequently were saying, well, you perhaps don't measure precisely the impact that he has and the influence he has on the field just by these numbers because he's the one orchestrating a game even if he's not putting it in the net mm. but then even he acknowledged that can be the case but then I do also still need to add more goals and assists and when Grealish first signed we speculated that he'd be used by Pep as an eight and he'd move to take some minutes from Gundogan mm. over a year on, do we think that was perhaps the plan before he saw him up close and he saw something different or he's just not capable of playing that way? Yeah, I do wonder if he maybe had that in mind and changed tack. Um, because I'd say now, I, I always felt watching him, he was being played out wide, but really he was probably almost, you know, give him a free roll like a 10 and just playing more essentially and let him sort of create havoc. He can drift wide and come inside if he wants. You look at him now and he's kind of more of a winger than I think he's ever been. I think he's, yeah. he would only play him coming in off the left now. Um, so it's either it hasn't worked or there was a lot of reading into it, wasn't there, with this is what Pep's going to do. We never knew it from the horse's mouth, did we? So we were kind of uh, hypothesizing with him a little bit. But yeah. I've, the other thing that's difficult with Grealish is there's never, it's hard to get a clear narrative with him because some people just don't like him and have decided that. And a large swathe of us really do like him. And so there's kind of, I think that really with him really colours the whole thing where it's like, we'll give him a pass because he's kind of funny in an interview and a bit thick, bless him, but a lovely lad. And others think he's just a party boy who's a classic playboy footballer. And so you never really get a clear idea. What, what, what do people actually think on this guy? Yeah, because I, I thought seeing his interview post-game did explain why people are hesitant to jump on him because, for one, yeah, it's it's kind of like... Remember, remember when uh, you were at school, I remember having an, uh, an assembly, and I don't know why this was ever deemed to be a good idea, but it was essentially, um, this is how you get past bullying. And this was there was a whole assembly on this, and it was basically if a bully says, "Okay, for example, glasses." Say it was like if a bully tells you you have four eyes, you say, "Yeah, I do." Yeah, yeah. And then the bully (laughs) just disintegrates, and it's like, "Oh my god, what the hell do I say now?" He agrees with what I'm saying, and or when you're trying to argue with someone that refuses to argue back, like Grealish is refusing to argue back. If anything, Grealish is going, "Well, no, you're absolutely right." I'm playing in this city team. I'm playing with one of the most creative guys the league has ever seen. 
I should be putting up more numbers. I don't disagree with anything you're saying. And so when you're trying to get the pitchforks out, it's like, well, he's agreeing with us. Well, what do we do now? And the, Contrast the that to like Harry Maguire, who's like, well, I don't know what people yeah. are criticizing. So come on. And if we are at the point where we're saying, okay, he's only going to be a winger in Pep's system, then I do think that does move the goalposts. And that's when we do have to say, well, yeah, we do need more numbers from you now. Because you, look, you know, when you've got Haaland in there, let's face it, you should your assist should be going through the roof. Like, we saw that well, in pre-season where he basically drags the four, drags the ball past the fullback, cuts it across to Haaland, and just smashes it in. You thought, Christ, we're going to see this ten times over in the league. That made me take you with my like second pick in the draft. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That one you goal. Anyone who listened, he's blowing up this year. Well, I thought he would because I thought. Pep in pre-season, I think he played one game is is, is like a modified 4-4-2. And I love seeing that anyway. But I thought, yeah. well, this is just going to be brilliant. You've just got these tricky guys on the wings. Beat the man, as you say. Put it back and you've got Haaland there. Yeah. And maybe Grealish is going to take a, a real boost of confidence from the fact that he got that goal this week. You can see from the way the players celebrated with him that they were happy for him to get his goal. And you can always tell a lot about what the squad think of a player by how they do react to a goal for someone like this. Mm-hmm. And you saw similar with Son when he scored at the weekend. Um, yeah. And I guess the pressure is going to be on him now. The It does look like a pressure that he relishes rather than it being something that he'll try and hide from. And I could probably pick out some players which that would... The worst thing that ever happened to Pepe was when he would get one or two good games and people would go well, now we're expecting the goal from you in this third game. Yeah, yeah. And he would shrink back in. And I'd probably put Sancho in that conversation, not to just keep digging him out. But I feel like he isn't rising to the level of expectation. If anything, he's playing more freely when everyone is at their kind of point of giving up with him. And really, it'll be interesting to see what happens next because I don't know how you keep the likes of Mares happy when early in their City career, they were being benched for far less. And yeah. they may say, none of us got the freedom to play our way into form in this squad. You really had to jump straight in. It's it's a tougher job than I think a lot would have realised replacing Sterling. And ultimately, when you're playing Grealish there and you were prepared to sell Sterling, that's what you said. You said that Grealish can offer you what Sterling was able to. And what was he? He's at least in like the top three scorers for City most years for the last like five, six years. So he was kind of the no opposite pressure. of Grealish where you'd go, I watch this guy and I'm not sure if he's any good, but by the end of the season, you go, well, he's got these numbers. Is that so? Yeah. He's a direct threat for them. Whereas Grealish on the eye test, you'd think there's a good player there, but the raw data doesn't really support it quite as well. Because the stuff with, okay, well, the, every team they're playing, they're dropping deeper. There's less space for him to run into these aren't things that have just sprung up on Pep and City or even Grealish moving there. Like no. They were well aware of these things that were happening. And it's why we'd probably be talking about him far differently. If he was in United's side, he'd probably look a lot better. I'm not sure you need him and Bruno, him and Bruno in the same squad. No. Him no. In Tottenham's side, if you put him in Arsenal's side, even if you put him in Chelsea's side, we probably all hold him 
in a high regard in terms of his ability from what we'd be seeing week in, week out. But it's we'll find out this season if Pep is trying to make it work with him or if he does truly believe there's a player that I can really get something out of here and he's going to be beneficial to me, not only winning the league, but winning the Champions League as well. Yeah, yeah, for sure. They One of the things as well, though, with him moving to City was that while well, his numbers would go up, not just because of City and whatever, is that when you watched him at Villa, he was the only player that the opposition had to worry about. So they'd double up on him. Villa would keep trying to force the ball to him. And sometimes that would work, sometimes yeah. it wouldn't. Whereas at City, it was, well, look, they're going to have to worry about all these other players. That's going to free up Grealish to have a lot more a lot more fun. And it just kind of hasn't really happened. And then we do use the sort of excuse that, well, teams are just sitting in or whatever as well. That's a lot easier than most games where he was just being targeted in the same way as Zaha used to be for Palace, where it's like, well, yeah. we've got nothing else going on. We're going to keep giving you the ball. It's going to be interesting to see whether he is just that guy who can be a big fish in a small pond with all due respect to Villa, um, or he can be the next guy for City because that price tag is probably the only reason why he can't just be a squad player for City where you go, wow, yeah. this this can't this can't add up. But we do we do give him a slight pass. But when you consider, like, we'll look at say the first time Salah has a dip in form, he'll get dug out. Whenever Saka has what some would describe a dip in form, he starts yeah. getting dug out. And then you look at his numbers compared to Grealish, and it's not really close. So he does he does get that pass. But that's uh that's the privilege of being a City player, I guess, which is all fun. A big part of this as well, and this is a niche reference. There's that point in. Um the Philosopher's Stone when they're in the library and they're looking for Nicholas Flamel. Nicholas Flamel. <laughs> and they pick out, all right, Philosopher's Stone, this is it. Everyone seemingly is being like scanning their FPL app or whatever, dragging their finger. Hang on a minute, you're 27. <laughs> and that seems to be the the main thing that's flipped this week is people have been going, well, hang on, we're not having any more patience with you. If you've hit 27, you need to be in your prime right now. We're not waiting any longer for you. And I'm I'm still not hundred percent sure on the Philosopher's Stone link here, but there's the moment when they're looking in the library and they all start jumping up because they've just spotted this key piece of information that's going to tie all this together. And this seemingly was the thing that people hang on a minute. You can't be twenty seven and still giving me two goals, three assists a season. We've been mesmerized by calves so long that we haven't clocked his age and look maybe if he does turn into an asshole if it was him jumping up saying why are you criticising me then maybe we'd be a bit harsher but it's tough to find any reason to criticise City at this moment and I think we all feel quite foolish doing so so that probably helps his cause yeah he's, he's a he's a great guy seems like a great guy he's English players that I've had a couple of good tournaments we like generally, so you've got to go some to really for us to don't, don't, uh, sort of despise you. So. Yeah. Do you, do you think there's anything in that Pep maybe feels he has more leeway to be able to experiment in the league this season? Because it doesn't do. feel... <laughs> yeah, it, it, it doesn't feel like the last two seasons where, at least certainly not at this stage of the season, that you cannot drop a single point maybe it does feel like Pep has more freedom to play him into form this year than he has in previous years where he may not be so patient. I would thoroughly enjoy 
a journalist putting that to Pep and just watching him bristle. <laughs> when he's like 20 points ahead and he's going to be going, yeah, you just don't understand. This is a close league. Well, there are managers that are perhaps looking like they should be getting a bit uh, more antsy. And Newcastle toppled Nottingham Forest on the opening day of the season at St. James's and haven't won a league game since. They drew 0-0 away with Brighton. Nice result. Drew 3-3 at home with City. Won all away at Wolves. Lost 2-1 in stoppage time against Liverpool, which uh, we don't need to go back into. <laughs> um, <laughs> 0-0 at home against Palace and won all at home to Bournemouth. And any time you drop points to Bournemouth, people are raising their eyebrow. But after the money was spent in the summer and there was talk of European qualification in pre-season, do you think there's any pressure on Eddie Howe yet? I mean, you want to talk about people just realising information. When you put that thing about they haven't won since the opening day, I was rattled. I was awful. they'd started okay. What is... It is a a weird one because it perhaps doesn't jump out to you. But yeah, I, I just happened to see someone mention it on Twitter. And then I had to have a look back myself just to see... Yeah, yeah. I think it was after the last game. I think I saw no wins in five now or something like that. (laughs) Can't be right. And there's people in the replies going, hang on, we beat Tranmere in the League Cup. (laughs) That's not the defence you think it is, lads. No, which they very much scraped past. But it's a strange one. It's a strange one because I don't, it doesn't feel like there's any pressure on him, but I do wonder how long it could take before some does appear. That's one that will escalate quite quickly, I think. I think you've probably got a couple of games to get yourself back together or, or start getting on top for you. It doesn't seem like the Newcastle fans are uh, getting antsy just yet. But again, I, I think a couple of no. games, they're going to go, they're going to go, um, well, look, you spent this money, we're supposed to be on an upward trajectory. And especially because there's, a lot of inconsistency in the league at the minute with a lot of these teams. They're going to think, well, we should be, there's an opportunity for us here and we're, uh, we're fucking it. Well, yeah, because if you actually break down the results in individuality, nil-nil away at Brighton in isolation, you, you probably take no issue with that. 3-3 three, three at home to City, those are like Spurs-type problems where you can go toe-to-toe with City and then struggle to break down Bournemouth. 1-1 one, one away at Wolves. I know Molyneux is a toughish place to go, but the form they're in, I think you have to go there and you'll be disappointed if you don't get something. 2-1 against Liverpool. There's no issue with that. And if anything, I think the manner of the defeat probably helps Eddie Howe's case yeah. in that he can do the hard done by card. 0-0 at home against Palace. Now, there was the dodgy VAR call on Joe Willock. Extremely. But you're still going to be hoping that after you hadn't won then in four that you get home winning against Palace and then one all at home to Bournemouth. Away to Bournemouth's bad if you don't get a result. Home to Bournemouth, it can be looking a bit spooky when you see that on your list of results. Yeah, agreed. Especially when St. James's has they have turned it into a bit of a fortress. I use that loosely because fortress can be overused, but the atmosphere is back, the feel good factor is back, and you thought this is a tough place to go again. And 
yeah, Bournemouth are seemingly the worst team in the league. You can't, you've got to, that's a got to be a home win. Well, what, they're up to like ninth now? Yeah, yeah. Super Gary O'Neill. That's what happens when you uh, get rid of that bum, Scott Parker. Um, yeah, but elsewhere with Newcastle. Yeah. Um, Callum Wilson injured as expected, but two goals in three games for Isaac. Should we just sit and wait and let him cook? Yeah, yeah, most definitely. That's what he's been brought in for. Was for one, he's obviously a very good player, but also you must know Callum Wilson's going down with an injury at some point. Um, well, yeah, and he looks the goods. Because I didn't watch the Newcastle games to three o'clock kickoff over here on Saturday. A lot of the headlines were that Eddie Howe's got this new striker, but this shows he does still need Callum Wilson. When, as you just said, I thought the whole reason of bringing Isaac in was basically, well, we can't rely on Callum Wilson, so we need a guy who's exactly. at least as good. I'd, Next three I'd games, pretty, they've got. I'd, I quite like Callum Wilson, but I'd be stunned if you're watching. Isaac and going, oh, this is a significant step down from Callum Wilson. I think they're no. at very least comparable on his worst day. Yeah, because when he first came in, I did say to um, Harry, I think you might be surprised if he comes straight in and just displaces Wilson. And then so happens that Wilson got injured just before he was able to make his debut. But I mm. do think Wilson is absolutely still Eddie Howe's guy. But maybe yeah. they go to a 4 4 2. They've got Fulham away, Brentford at home, and Man United away as their next three. Okay. And then it says a lot of Fulham might Eddie be the Howe, hardest game. <laughs> yeah. Eddie Howe signed a contract extension in the summer. Should we be keeping an eye on Poch and Tuchel, or is this a non-story? Uh it doesn't feel like it, does it? But you're a couple of results away from that because those are good managers and they're going to go, well, we've spent this money. We expect results. You know, it, He could be a victim of his own success as well. That little run he had towards the end of last year raises yeah. expectations slightly. The, the funny thing, obviously, with Newcastle as well, is it feels strangely flat from the window in that I think they were hoping for, a, certainly the fans were hoping probably for one more. And then when they watch like West Ham get Paqueta, for example, I think they must probably look at it and go, all right, I understand there's a process or whatever, but we're the richest club in the world and we're treading water a little bit here. They did get carriers in. Yeah, I'm not sure if that's going to help. You keep them on their toes, if nothing else. No, the big thing that we're supposedly waiting for with Newcastle is... um, this first big sponsorship deal that they can kind of sneak through under the noses of the Premier League. And mm-hmm. we're led to believe that it's going to be that Saudi Gulf. But right, I don't yeah. know what the holdup is or what's taking so long. But that's basically once they get the sponsorships rolling in, that's how City were able to start bankrolling everything. But um, now that no, all no, the big boys are City out just, there, fun. City just generate more money than everyone else, obviously. It's, you're not, you surely <laughs> yeah. must realise that. It's, Sure, says everything. City is a huge club. Well, everyone had their fun, and now they're going. You keep an eye on that Newcastle lot. You keep an eye on them and whatever <laughs> they're doing, because we do not want the Premier League being brought into disrepute 
with these dodgy <laughs> dealings. And the Premier League probably not wanting to piss off the likes of uh, United and Chelsea and all of this lot are going to say, don't you worry, we're keeping a very close eye on them. And I think that's the issue Newcastle fans are going to take. But yeah, you listen to Newcastle fans at the start of the window and at the end of it, and there was definitely the clamour for one more big one, probably one more like Isaac and Botman. Yeah. But yeah. that just shows how the window works because you 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 bring in Isaac on deadline day and everything feels different. Yeah, exactly. We spoke about it with... Um with Arsenal, didn't we? That when you start the window yeah. looking like you're being aggressive and standing a 10, if you kind of end it on a bit of a whimper, it changes the whole feeling about it. Spurs then. Spurs had the potential to be the story of the weekend when they were going toe-to-toe with Leicester for about a half. Um, a picture of the XG spread all across, across Twitter at halftime on Saturday night and the timeline seemed to unanimously realise that Tottenham aren't actually very easy on the eye. Um now, I agree with you, TK, when we spoke um, off off air, that this never did feel like a game that Spurs were lucky to be ahead in. But it did feel like a game in which there was far more room for them to be punished. Now, Spurs scored four from an XG of 1.62 on the opening day. They scored six with an XG of 1.99 against Leicester. And they were fortunate that both West Ham and Chelsea are allergic to scoring goals. Um, <laughs> They're doing what they're supposed to do, but how seriously should we take this Spurs side? I think pretty seriously. Um, I think, yeah, this game, I thought they were okay against Leicester. It was more that Leicester are what they are, but I didn't think Spurs were like boring or that cutting edge in this game. I thought they were good, whereas in some games I thought they're potentially verging on too conservative, but have been fortunate with some of the opposition they've had. As you said, some of them have been struggling to get goals. There was obviously a decent amount of luck attached to the Chelsea game. Um, But I didn't think this game was an example that you could use for Spurs. I thought this was a good performance. Um, They did exactly what they had to do. And obviously rattled in some goals. You know, if they had dominated Leicester but not scored the goals, I'd go, okay, I'm a little bit concerned. But I don't. And I know that I'm trying to avoid the cliche of winning games where you're not playing well is a good sign. But it does feel like at some point Spurs are also going to start playing a little bit better and still winning games. And that's mm. probably a concern if you're, I don't know, a, a, a fan of an opposition team, for example, if one was. <laughs> well, they're set up basically to play an extremely risk-averse game. And it's a style of play that can be very effective when you have the calibre attack, caliber of attack that they do. Um, I did see some comparisons and saying, well, look, Conte won a league playing like this at Chelsea and not to break down the entire thing, but the difference between this side and the side he won a Premier League title with in a similar style is essentially the quality did extend the back behind that front line. And that feels like I'm being disrespectful, but saying that Kane, saying that Kante and Matic were his Hoiberg and Benton Kerr doesn't feel disrespectful to me. That feels like just very realistic and then when he wanted, he was able to bring an extra layer of, layer of control on in Fabregas, who appeared more times off the bench than he started in 16-17. Defensively, he had Courtois, David Luiz, who's everything Spurs fans say Romero is, by the way, uh, particularly in that 16-17 side. Gary Cahill, Azpilicueta, Alonso, and the less said about Victor Moses, the better, but he did have a good season. 
I'm saying all this to say that you have to be able to play this style at an elite level to to reach the pinnacle of success in this league. And I don't think that Spurs can do that. Spurs are still conceding really big chances on a frequent basis. And they surrender territory more than they allow teams to have position. Um, I actually don't think they'll struggle too much against us, City, United, Liverpool. Mm. And after Man City, I think they'll probably have the best record against the big six, so to say, this season. Mm. I just think in the long run, in the league that it is now, I don't think you can win a league title like this anymore while City and Liverpool exist. And that's where you're going to have to question if it's worth it because Spurs aren't playing his brand of football at the elite level you need to really get the big payoff. So I guess it's, you're going to be grinding it out for a top four space in this, in the same way that Chelsea were grinding it out for a Premier League title. And uh, I don't know, it feels like, and it could be the same, I guess, for a lot of teams, but it feels like they're playing on very fine margins. And yes, it can go the way you say that they can start playing better, but it can be that some of these chances that we can't believe teams are missing, all it takes is a two, three game run and maybe Arsenal or someone else bottle it then still. But I don't know how sustainable this style of football is now, especially. Well, yeah, I mean, there's lots to take in. The, the, the issue is it depends what you want and expect for Spurs. If you are saying to win the league this year, then I would probably agree with you. I don't think they're good enough to do that. I think this style of play, ultimately, it could work. But if you didn't have an absolute juggernaut like City, who have changed basically what you have to do to win a league, um, I don't think they could overcome that. And I think at elite level, you're going to have instances where players like Dyer and Sanchez get found out in a way that his previous teams that have been successful have had elite defenders. Those two don't come close to those. So... Yeah, it would depend on your expectations, but do I think they can do uh, a job where they look like they're in contention about midway through the year, but ultimately aren't, but get top four? I think they probably can. And I think that's probably what the club and the fans would have aimed for and would have been happy with. Mm. Essentially, that's my thing. The, the style of play that he has and that he's used at Inter and that he's used at Chelsea, effectively you allow the other team to have the ball in certain phases, but there is still the element of control in that you're almost dictating where you choose for them to have the ball. You push them into a wide left situation. You push them and say, okay, you can have it in this third of the pitch. It doesn't feel to me, and midfield I think is where the issue is, that he's able to do that. And so I do think that there's then a very fine margin in that other teams can push you around. And we've seen that they've just coped okay with Sun. He's had his worst start to a season since he's become kind of the guy at Spurs and they've made it out of it scot-free. Yep. The question is if they could do that if, say, Kane has that run of form like they managed last year. Yeah, so yeah, maybe they can manage it. Um I don't know. I think there's, there was some pushback from Spurs fans online that because they scored six, they aren't an ugly team to watch. There there are very few 
teams I would less rather watch in this league. And that's even if you take the Spurs badge out of it and you told me that they were some foreign team I've never seen before. I wouldn't enjoy watching their style of play. And it's what payoff they're going to get for that because um, I don't know. I guess Bissouma still chance to come in and um, light things up. At fullback, there's still areas um, for improvement. At centre-back, if they can keep Romero fit, then it's going to be different to if they have Davinson Sanchez in there. It it just feels like when I would watch us a season or two ago and there would be like one missed chance and I'd be so hyper-focused on that one individual incident because we weren't doing enough elsewhere and so that became a bigger factor than it needed to. I feel like Spurs are really living on the edge, particularly defensively, and I wonder how long that's going to last for. Yeah, I mean, with the attacking players you've got, you'd back them to play a style where you go, look, we're not going to have many chances, so you're going to have to be efficient here. By contrast to if you had Lacazette, that you couldn't really get away yeah. with doing that. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, I do think ultimately they're probably not a good enough defensive team, even with Conte's management and the uh, the drilling, as Jack would tell them, that he's doing to them on the training ground. Um, they're not. I don't. I think ultimately, if, if you're if you're asking me. Are they a threat to winning the league? I would say that's probably going to be their their downfall is that the middle of midfield and uh, their defence just ultimately isn't good enough. But this is a this is a good team in their own. They're obviously in slightly different images now. I think Spurs are getting more and more into a Conte image, and, and I said verging on potentially getting too conservative because you've got to look at what Spurs have got and go. Well, look, we've got some really good attacking players here. We've got to get the most out of them. Is my biggest criticism of Jose was that. Look, you've got no defenders and some good attacking players. You've got to work with what you've got, and he would just refuse to. Conte is obviously better than that, but at the same time, the, the two North London clubs I do think are probably going to make. I think the best fist of trying to give City a run, but City are going to—they've got gears and they'll go through them. And both those clubs, in their own respect, will slip up in certain areas, and so. I was gonna. I was gonna say at the weekend. I think they're gonna do. A, if we're the Bundesliga now, I think Arsenal and Spurs are gonna do a, a Dortmund and a Leipzig, where they kind of tease us into thinking they can do something, but ultimately don't for their own separate reasons. Well, I think it could be as simple as, and I don't think it's a great look for either of us to be fair. But I think if you said to Man City, "Who would you rather play this weekend, Arsenal or Spurs?" I think they'd rather play us. Mm, yeah, ten times yeah. out of ten. Whereas I think. If you asked, let's say, Newcastle, I think if you asked Newcastle, who would you rather play and will eliminate the, the final game we had last season? I think if you asked a side like Newcastle, who would you rather play this weekend, Arsenal or Spurs? I think they'd rather play Spurs because I think they're going to offer less control and I think they're going to feel they're going to have more opportunities to get in the game. And so really, the the difference is on who wins more of those games and Spurs at the moment to their credit even in games when I've looked at it and gone you're not playing that well the Chelsea and the West Ham games they've still come out with it with two points so it's hard to be too critical um, I'm still going to have sleepless nights ahead of the next derby on the 2nd of it's October but I do think come the end of the season it's going to be largely inconsequential um, we finished eighth and beat Man United, Spurs, 
Chelsea, Liverpool, all that season. So those games can have a fuck all really is it, if you're struggling elsewhere and that's fucking brutal that it's going to be haven't done that <laughs> yeah it, 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 it's going to be I said last season with Arsenal that we needed to turn more of our losses into draws and I think for Spurs it's going to be whether they can turn more draws into wins and how that goes towards the end of the season and uh, it's how we're going to find it's out. how quickly other teams cotton on to going right we're just going to sit in then and it's not going to be great for a neutral viewer but they're going to go right you're going to have to have the ball and come and break us down and how willing Spurs are to do that, how much they're going to be able to adjust. Because um, I think teams will start doing that. They're going to, particularly if, you know, Kane and Stone do start hitting numbers, they're going to go, right, we're just going to sit in, make you break us down, let Benzico and Hoybergs have a lot of the ball, see what they can do. Um, because that's probably the way you've got to go against Spurs. Because there's there's no real reason Leicester should have gone into that first half, and unless it's just completely pressures off, manager's going to get the stick, not us. There's no reason they should have gone into that game feeling like we can outplay these, and yet they spent portions of that first half looking like the better attacking side. the The way they were stringing mm. moves together was more fluent than what Spurs were now when you can bring Sun off the bench, that's not a bad uh, game plan to be able to revert to. But I don't I think, know. I think he's also got a job managing that front line because yeah, yeah. Kuloshevsky is going to be pissed off if he keeps getting dropped for guys that aren't delivering. While that hat trick has got to have been like a dagger to Richarlison and uh, Kuloshevsky because just as you think you're battling out between the two of you for his spot, he goes and does that. So. Well, that was the thing they got lost with the whole Sun thing at the weekend was that he did deserve to be the one that was dropped. It wasn't like, you know, out of nowhere, he'd been the only one who wasn't performing out of those three, out of those four players. Uh, and now he's got obviously a, a huge headache because all four, he's going to now could be considered in form. He's just hit a hat-trick. Richarlison and Kuliszewski are playing great. Kane's playing great. So it's not a bad problem to have, well, but it got lost in the Sun loving a little bit was that it was justified that he was dropped. Yeah, I was speaking to Sean, I was speaking to another Spurs fan um, around the midweek game where they lost. Mm. And Kuliszewski did more in the like 15 minutes that he was on for than uh, Sun had done in the entire fixture to that point. And I don't think Kuliszewski is the type that's going to kick up a fuss. I think he was on the bench enough at Juventus, but perhaps he didn't have the confidence to feel that he could push back. Um, But if he... There's a difference, isn't it, between being benched because you're the easy one to bench or being benched because you deserve to be Mm -hmm. benched. And if it's, okay, I'm going to bench you because it's easier to deal with you on the bench than it is for a Charleston that's where he could find some kind of issue and uh, it's going to be something for Conte to manage but he's managed plenty bigger personalities in his time just his tendency has been to boot them out <laughs> if, they, if they aren't doing what he does and I don't think Spurs can afford to do that with Kuliszewski No, he's going to have to spin some plates here Let's like say there's worse problems he could have Yeah um, Madison then was the other big story from this yeah. game. Now, since the 2020-21 season, he's got 37 goals and assists in 72 games. 
that's not bad at all. Zahar often has it held up against him being told that being that good in this team won't translate for the step up. And we've spoken about that earlier with Grealish, etc. Um, but Liverpool got Mane from Southampton and you can see that it can happen. The question here is how good is Madison? What kind of team should he be in? So I've got a number of questions for you. Um, are Man United better or worse if you swap Bruno for Madison? That's a great question. Oh, I'm just going to look like a hater here, but I think better. I do think Madison's great. Yeah, I, I think he takes more calculative risks than Bruno does. I think he retains possession better than him. It's the defensive contributions are going to be the thing that's leveled at him. When They're both I don't like think that, in that front, though. Yeah, and also when you look at the tail end of last season... And the start of this season, and Didi and Tielemans are doing him no favours. <laughs> yeah, true. And Tielemans, for a year and a bit now, we've kind of been saying, well, it's because he's maybe got his eyes elsewhere. At this point, you maybe have to realise nobody wants you. And question why that is. Yeah. And and Didi's stock gone, think- has gone like Bitcoin. Well, yeah, he was he was in the Kante conversation a couple of years yeah, back. Yeah, horrible. He's been linked with big money moves to United, Arsenal. Well, he was being linked. Well, if Arsenal don't want to go out and get party, go out and get an Ndidi. And these things change very quickly. And I do wonder if there was some more stability behind Madison because if he feels even less responsibility there and he can cook at the other end, it, it it could be scary because the way he strikes a ball, and this feels very much like Twitter talk <laughs> these days, if I have to see ball striking, <laughs> but the way he puts his foot through it is so pure when you look at other players in his position and you do actually just get the feeling that when he pings it from outside the area, you do have a very good chance that this is going to find the top bins. And I'd love to see him at a big club. I was worried when I saw Spurs were linked with him mm. in the summer. Um, the question that we were debating a year ago, are Arsenal better or worse if you swap Erdegaard for Madison? Oh, that's a good question. I I still think the way you start the season, Odegaard is ahead of him. So I'll, I'll go with that. Um, I agree. But I don't think, you know, you'd be significantly worse off either though. He, I think Madison is that good. Um do you think he could control games for a big side, or is he more? I think is he more of a final third? Yeah, guy? I think he might be a little bit more in and out. Um, and I, th- I think he is, and this may be his downfall in terms of getting a big move because a lot, of, as we always say, a lot of clubs don't play this way. But he, I think, is a ten. I think he is just a ten. You've yeah. got to accept that he's not going to do certain things. You've got to give him that freedom. You can't go right. I'm going to force you wide because you can get lost. You can't say right. I'm going to play you in as one of a midfield two because he'll just get overrun. He's not going to do that. You've got to accept him in that same role. And that's why at this Leicester team, I do think he's one of very, very few shining lights because he can do that. But also that he's, I think the most impressive thing of him in this whole period that Leicester have been in decline is that when you watch games, he looks like he's taking responsibility. He's he's yeah. not shying away. He's looking for the ball. He's trying to put a shift in. I would say that those type of players... What all you want to see from them 
is that they're trying to put themselves about you accept that they're not going to be able to do a lot of the dirty work but they're trying at least um and he not just in his interview as of the game where you say well he look he's taking responsibility he's doing it in his actions as well which it'd be easy for him to down tools he's obviously a very good player and he's had his issues yeah. with Rogers, but he seems like he's one of very very few that's actually trying for the manager well you you kind of jumped into the question i was going to ask mm. you because i've always questioned if if he does step up to a bigger side is he going to be playing on the wing or is he going to be playing as a 10 now Spurs actually would have been a team in which he could have played as a 10. Mm. And so the question I have, are Tottenham better or worse this season if they bought Madison over a Charleston in the summer? Yeah, see, I would say better. And that was difficult because Richarlison has started well, but my argument with it in the summer was that I'm not sure what problem he solves for Spurs other than some depth. I think they spend a decent chunk of money on someone who potentially may end up on the bench because the other front three is really good. Whereas Madison, I think, goes some way to solving a problem where where's the creativity from a midfield player? I'm not sure they have too much of it. Now, I think really they probably need someone from deep and Benson Kerr can do that. Whereas I wouldn't really want Madison doing that. But at the same time, he would he would add something different to Spurs that I think I would be interested to see. You also free up Son to be more of a, uh, not Son, Kane to be more of a pure goal scorer as well if you could take someone whose playmaking abilities off his hands. Yes, yeah, yeah, exactly. So you can... He doesn't have to. Some they are going to have games where, for all we like it now, Kane is going to end up dropping deeper and deeper. And they'll be like, "What are you doing? Stay up there." So, yeah. and a, a question being asked um, in in more different places than this one: Are Chelsea better or worse if you swap him with Mason Mount? Better, better. I think. Um, yeah, Mount's probably a little bit more of a an all-rounder, probably a little bit more that he's why Southgate picks him. He's the sensible choice, the conservative choice. Um, but I think Madison's creative abilities are much better. Um, and I think in a better team where you have more protection behind you, which if you were to say under Tuchel, he would have 100% had that. He'd have had defensively solid behind him. He'd have added some of the creativity I think they're missing. And it's not that Mount can't do those things, but I just don't think he can do them to the level that Madison can do. And I think some of the things you, some of the downsides to Madison, I do think would be offset by having a team as sort of well-structured as that Chelsea team certainly was. Yeah. So so what do we think Madison's ceiling actually is? Um, and this is quite horrible to think about. I can see him in a United shit. It has felt like potentially a United player. I can also see him in a Spurs shit. I think I think United, their next two big buys are probably going to be one from uh, a European league. And I do think they're probably going to flex their muscles sometime soon and buy one from within the Premier League. And so he would fit into that bracket, whether it's going to be him, whether it's going to be Declan Rice, whether it's going to be, I don't know, one of those I'd be ecstatic to watch fans online genuinely saying, right, Ericsson, Bruno and Madison's on midfield then. <laughs> <laughs> I just don't know because he's still young enough. We're not in a position where we're looking at. How old is he? I feel like I'm. I think he's like what twenty five, something like that. I had him at a similar sort of age as Greenish. I don't know whether just because they were being compared. Whether. Yeah, I mean, that's basically he's not at the age where, and it sounds like I'm just disrespecting him a lot today. He's not at that son age where, once you've gone over twenty eight, teams are a bit more hesitant 
to say, we're going to pay the big, big bucks for you. And so he does definitely still have that move in him, but it just, say, so that's, who's going to be the one that's to do going it? to be what killed him with the Arsenal one, isn't it? Is that, well, even if you were to be in the, in the uh, side of the argument that has him better than Odegaard, he's not twice as good and he's going to cost twice the money. Why? So he, yeah, he was going to be about 50 million more. Yeah, so it's less, Leicester wanted not all up front, but they are renowned for their transfer fees, like the Maguire, like the Fofana ones. You certainly get a bulk of it up front more than you would with other clubs. Um, They wanted upwards of 80 million for Mm. him. And this summer they were asking for upwards of 70 million for him, which I think probably put Spurs off. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Now that can obviously fall as time goes on. So he probably will get his move, but he's going to have to make sure it's the right one because... He's got a pretty rough contract from my memory. I'm talking like three years left. Yeah, yeah. That's a that's a difficult one. And he will have to get his move right because the conversation we just had about Grealish, we could quickly end up having about Madison. I could see a team if you're trying him and then it's not working and then going right, we're just gonna shift you out on the left or something, you can cut in and we've got a little bit less risk there. And I think he could end up getting lost. So you'd have to be careful in his shoots. I think his best move would probably be Spurs, to be honest. Yeah, yeah, I would like it. Um, you wouldn't, but <laughs> I think it's no. a. I think it would be a move that that works all round. Yeah. Um, last thing on this game, just how bad is Danny Ward? <laughs> I mean, if you want to remind people what you're reminding me of on Saturday, because I don't know if I can have the words leave my I, mouth. I mean, us selling him for twelve and a half million is. It's like a. All the oceans films run into one. It just doesn't. <laughs> but except the other thing is, but like the, it's like the oceans film. But the casino owners know you're doing it, and they're just watching you do it. It's, it's insane. He's not a Premier League goalkeeper, is he? Well, you you brought the stat to my attention. He's faced forty three shots on target this season and conceded twenty two <laughs> goals. At some point, we are saying like the Spurs ones. And I said this somewhat jokingly, the position he's in is now that we've all decided you're a shit keeper, any goal you concede, whether you should or shouldn't concede it, we can mm. say, oh, he's just awful, isn't he? And you have no response. Like you, There's nothing you can say whether you should or shouldn't have let it in. And he's in that predicament because like, should you have got a hand to it? Should you not have? I, I don't know. But it's not looking good for you. And if Leicester aren't already looking for someone for January, then that club's worse run than we think it is. Yeah, this it's remarkable that they decided to go into the season with him as their goalkeeper. Um, that was without seeing him. Now we have seen him. I mean, should they have been in for Carrius? Is he worse than that? Yeah. Do you think, and maybe it would have been a struggle this selling it this year after how close things were, should we put the worst keeper from this season on the league champions for next season? And then we see how good you are. <laughs> so City can have this incredible team, but they've got Ward in goal next season. You feel like it, you would, uh, it'd be one for the uh, sort of aficionados on Twitter where you see like, see, this is why having a good goalkeeper is so important. Because you could see like, someone <laughs> like John Stones would just fall apart knowing Danny Ward's behind him. And then yeah. I'd have a carry on, I guess, for the, throughout the whole team. 
because this would be one of them where you see the people playing a pickup game there's a bet on the line and they can't beat this really aggressive defender so they just start pulling up from three and you land one and then you just look like a demon (laughs) this would be i mean if teams know they can't run at City, so they just start pinging it from range on the basis that one or two of these might go in. Imagine what it must be like in Leicester trainer where Madison must just be going, I'm just going to ping him from everywhere. <laughs> Maybe this is why he's so good. His confidence is through and the roof. And that's why Ward is just a shell because Madison's just <laughs> in 20 years training session. That um, finish for Madison for that one goal, by the way, is an absolute joke. I mean, it, it won't yeah. be talked about with like the goals of the season, but it probably should be because it's just like, Again, not to be full Twitter guy, but the technique and stuff is phenomenal. Um, Ward is obviously in a horrible place right now, whether he can turn it around or not, whether he can have the redemption arc that Granite Xhaka is continuing at Arsenal. They need to boo the goalkeeper off, clearly. <laughs> Arsenal rocked up to the Brentford Community Stadium for a kickabout yesterday, emerged as 3-0 winners, Saliba sensational, Jesus added to his tally for the season, but Granite Xhaka was probably the one that stole the show. The fact that the Arsenal Twitter page was able to post a picture of him with the caption, show your love for Granite below, without them having to worry at all about what the replies yeah. would be shows you just as far he's come and just how much football fans are willing to forgive you if you simply play well. Um, Did you ever think this could be possible? I remember the day his contract extension was confirmed as Arsenal had turned down 12 million from Roma. And it it wasn't a pleasant timeline. I could not have imagined we'd be in this position now. No, there's so many junctions where you think, right, this is over. Right, when he's going to Roma, right, this club's done. And then when the club doesn't sell him, you're like, well, this is not a club that's planning here because you were planning to get rid of him and now you're keeping him and he's going to be starting every week. This doesn't make any sense. Yeah. You go back, obviously, to the booing and you thought that was the end of him, the captaincy being removed. Um, and frankly, the, I don't think we'd ever seen a level of performance from him at Arsenal that warranted it. I think, you know, the, the fans weren't happy with him. And I think some of his decision making meant they thought he was stupid. But also, it wasn't like he was playing like a 10 out of 10 every week, but every now and again, getting a red card so the fans were pissed. He wasn't no. playing that well. No. So last year was, I think, his most consistent year of being excellent. I think, obviously, this game against Brentford was great. He started this season where he, where he left off, I think. Um, yeah. He's got a weird thing where some people probably can't unsee what's gone on previously. But yeah. for most people, he's turned it around, hasn't he? He's been... Really, really good. We had the we had the budget version of the um well, why can't we get Pogba playing like he does for France? Yeah. Jacker exactly. in Switzerland. And I think Arteta deserves a lot of credit for working a system that gets the best out of him yeah. because he seems to be the manager that has actually managed him the best and he seems to and it's very strange actually because on the pitch I think they're very different, but Arteta seems to understand him better than anyone else has. Wenger kind of acted like he was going to be analytical with him and said, look, this guy just shouldn't tackle. And then didn't really do anything about it after that while signing him ahead of Kante. He's playing, and the the City comparisons may feel lazy, but he's almost playing as Argunduan this season when you look at the style and what's being asked of him. 
that's now four goals and assists in the first seven games of the season. He averaged, I think, two yeah. a season yeah. coming into this one. Yeah, I didn't think he had box to box in him, frankly. Because um, his engine is very impressive, and we saw. I mean, the the game that's probably, if you were doing a list of his best games, the one that's going to steal the show was his performance against France in the Euros. Yeah, and they had the whole thing with him doing the team talk afterwards and everything with that. Um, he went sort of super Saiyan that day, didn't he? <laughs> this is just yeah. And then scary. with this, just he his engine is very impressive, and we do seem to have found a system which feels ridiculous, where he isn't having to tackle. He's, I think, it's like halved the amount of tackles he's going in for per game. He's almost able to dictate when he goes into a duel and when he doesn't. Um, and he's having almost double the touches of the ball. It's just like everything that he would want in a role, we've somehow got. And then when you've got like Erdegaard out yesterday, one thing you couldn't ever criticise him for was shying away. Mm. And he really did kind of say, well, uh, well, I think he's the captain on the pitch anyway, to be honest. But he very much did grab the team and say, look, I'm the leader today and led by example. And Brentford away, we made it look very comfortable. It's the least shots they've managed in a game since they've come up into the league. And I've been asking for, well, the last six weeks of the season, for as good as we're playing, I'd just like to see a greater level of control in that Leicester shouldn't have scored two against us. Man United shouldn't have cut through as easily as they did and Fulham shouldn't have had the moments that they did if we're going to be the team that we want to be. And this was the first time I saw us really manage a game Mm. right from the first whistle, get on the ball, put it on the deck, pass it around and just kind of suck the life out of the stadium. Yeah. I think it was Don Goodman on commentary who I thought was shot (laughs) all game. And he's saying things like, well, you know... the ground, they're struggling because the energy with the Queen and well, well no, it was just it, it felt very much like Man City where you you almost just drain all confidence out of the opposition and by the time it's 2-0 and you're just chasing shadows at that point what have you really got to cheer about? I said Arteta referenced it during the Brighton loss last season where he said, look, we have to give them something to cheer about. We can't complain they're not cheering if we're not doing anything to prompt Mm. it. And this felt like the opposite. This was, we saw what happened on the opening day last season where they were right up for it. Those idiots, Carragher and Neville, singing Hey Jude in with the fans. (laughs) And just don't give them the opportunity to try and do it. They tried gene it up at halftime and then we come straight out and make it 3-0. I thought it was very impressive and I thought Granit Xhaka was at the heart of that. Yeah, yeah, I agree. Um, regarding the control, I think there's a big reason why you're seeing the best of Xhaka is that a better, not uh, I'm oversimplifying it, but you've got better players around him. You're controlling games more, so you don't have a situation less frantic. Yeah, exactly. So where you're open and he's having to chase someone back and make a rash challenge. Yeah. Um, and you you are right. It did have that feel of Man City where you just drown teams. Now City basically being able to do that either in the first five minutes or even pre-game 
by the way. So obviously yeah. you got a bit to go before you get to their sort of level. But it was that well, sort that of clip thing. with De Bruyne I, and Saar. Oh, I hated that. People were sort of like joking about it. I was like, that says everything about. And by the way, he's representative of probably a lot of players. I think. Yeah. Yeah. yeah do, do we really think we've got a chance? They probably not. And you got to give credit to City because they've created that. I guess I don't think anyone else has been able to. But yeah, yeah, that was horrible, wasn't it? Um, I quite like that De Bruyne didn't entertain it. He just kind of shrugged like, we're going to do what we're going to do. Neves has been thinking as he's behind it. What the fuck are we doing here? Yeah, um, yeah I did think, I thought the only thing, the slightly laughable stuff about why Brentford weren't up for it. I do think there's no getting around, there's no getting away from midday at Brentford is different to a night game at Brentford. Absolutely, um, yeah. So that, that's where, you know, when people say, it doesn't matter where you get the fixtures, that's where it doesn't quite stack up because those things do matter. You'd say, well, yeah, if we you can get a mid, what Salhurst? Yeah, if you can get a midday game at Salhurst <laughs> rather than that Brentford, a few other stadiums, you would take that over. For most teams, it doesn't really apply to Liverpool. Most teams, good as soon. I would say, don't get a night game. Um, yeah, yeah, and it, and it will and change. We seem your, to get them on a Monday night every. Yeah, because <laughs> let's face it, the, the, the broadcasters know what they're getting there, don't yeah. they? Now it might be different with this Arsenal team because. Nah, I think you're still going to try. No, I think you'll still get it, but I think over time, I think you'll get less. There'll be less of an appetite yeah. because you're boringly quite good. Um, but even put City, didn't they last season Monday Monday night Selhurst Park? Like no one escapes it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Let's face it, we probably it's probably a legacy ever since Cristambul. In fairness, they probably saw that. <laughs> yeah. Right, we'll have a bit more of this. The um, the thing with Arsenal, I will say, you said about um, you looking to manage games. So I think the United game aside, which isn't great, but there we go. Every other game, I would say, you could contrast and say, this team last year might not win this game. Or they might not win it in this manner. I'd say even like the yeah. Bournemouth game, I think you'd have probably won by a spare goal, but you wouldn't have had anywhere near the control you had that. You wouldn't have had three goals. I think each game, I think, you know, I don't think you would have beaten Fulham. I think they'd have either equalised and then you would have sat back and been terrified of losing yeah, or they might have nicked game. the win. Um, <laughs> yeah. The Palace one, you came under the cosh in the, in the second half. The Leicester one, they obviously scorched it um, quite quickly against you. So I think yeah. in all these games, even last season, I think Arsenal may have fallen apart and dropped points in some of them. And, uh, and the fact they haven't, I do think is, is a positive sign. If I said that Spurs look like they're going... In the right direction, I think for Arsenal, they definitely are as well. Now, Gabrielle tweeted almost immediately after returning to the dressing room. <laughs> nice kickabout with yeah, the, the schedule. Now, you know, Joe Hart's yeah, schedule. Arsenal, Arsenal have beaten Brentford three times since Tony tweeted that on the opening day of last season, yeah. and our players have referenced it twice since. Should we be above this? I don't know if above. There obviously is some argument for being above it in that it's Arsenal and Brentford so you probably are a little bit above that we're punching yeah, that yeah that's, that's it it's always a tough look when you're doing that I think it was more in my mind that there's a statute of limitations on this <laughs> we've probably got <laughs> yeah. I think probably this season is your last stop and then if well even Lacazette retweeted it <laughs> yeah if, I think if you're doing it next year we start going hang on a minute lads maybe forget about it now but uh, it felt weird to me yeah at, at- yeah at the same time, it's kind of, we have you ever been like a mate that ref- sort of carried the joke on too long? You're like, okay, we were laughing yeah. five times ago. Yeah. 
we, we do need to stop referring to simply responding as being rattled though. <laughs> like, this is a thing. And we, the one we always reference is Carl Walker trying to tweet the jokes out during the back and forth of Liverpool. And we had it where Foden added Haaland in the Champions League. Was it Haaland? No, it was, it was Mbappe, wasn't it? He added Mbappe um, when the Champions League draw was done. Was it? I don't know. Foden added someone yeah, in the Champions League. It was like, it was Mbappe or Haaland. Okay. Um, and then deleted it within about five minutes. Out. And it was like, yeah, just stand by it. And the whole thing is, and I think Tony's dealt with it the right way. He dished it out. Yep. Take it back now. There's no, what can Tony say back? Oh, we're Brentford. Like that's no. not that's not winning you no, the argument. No. Um, and so I think that's where I think we should have more of it. Yeah, definitely. Because there was a tweet saying Arsenal was so rattled when Lingard did the dance floor thing, and then we bought them old uh, um, the Emirates, and Urzel tweeted um, our dance floor. Yeah, question mark, question mark, question mark. That it's was like, superb. Well, yeah, dish it out like Lingard. We have to hold the licks when people are going, oh, it's Lingard. And I still get people say to me, Lingard's dance floor when they refer to the Emirates. <laughs> so it's not like it faded away. Um, and so, yeah, you you got to take it when it comes back. Yeah, I so- thought that was a, as much as I got the point they say about um, Tony Adam rattled or whatever, The uh, I thought the, using that one as an example was horrendous in the, I remember coming on the pod, in fact, and saying, I'm glad Ozil did that because that needed answering. You said you can't just... Yeah. Like, yeah, the, obviously, Charmer was coming on the pod saying, Millie rocking at the Emirates. Yeah. So uh, that needed answering. I'm glad someone from Arsenal did and Ozil did that. But it would be if three or four games later against United, you were doing this still, you're <laughs> yeah. like, maybe. Really. And, but that's also a natural rivalry as well. Arsenal and United have a... And yeah. we're seeing, I think, a real re-emergence of that online. I think that's probably number one rivalry online at the minute Arsenal and United fans and that's great fun whereas Arsenal and Brentford is just it's just a bit weird by comparison if we beat Forest at the Emirates in October 30th and then Gabriel tweets that's floor yeah that's floor is it <laughs> then maybe we'll go nah, come on yeah, yeah because for Gabriel he tweets very little in English and when he does it's something it's like you know those um collection of Tom Hardy gentleman memes. Yeah. Where it's like, look, you're a man, do your top button up, go out the house, hold your head held high, and you're gonna show everyone who's boss. Is it? He tweets like he tweets Does like he that. But like not lit but it's like um it's something like don't let someone dim your shine. Yeah. And it's it's and so him tweeting this, his Twitter's probably never seen so much action. This is and maybe so the other thing is the next time PR is that players are probably, I'll do this and it'll be funny and people will like it. So, rather than just thinking. Yeah, and so Gabrielle might think, now who have, we, who have we got next Spurs? What have they been saying? <laughs> yeah. What are we tweeting about them? Uh, again, that'd be, that'd right. be great. So for example, if, uh, you won't like me saying this, but if, if Spurs beat you and Richarlison posts Richarlison is definitely, that's going to yeah. be, that's going to be great. And if you then beat them in the following game and do something at him, I love that. That's fantastic. Well, that, it's irritating, but I can't say anything about it. It was like the Spurs one that's maybe it's a bit different when it's like the the admin of the Twitter page, but them mocking the um, Ramsdale advert. It was like, I think it's a pretty shit joke, but at the same time, it's not really 
aimed at me to, to be enjoying anyway. So I can't really say too much about this. That was also one way. Because let's just have open to it with it as well. Is that this was always yeah. going to happen. And then the next time we have the chance to do it, I'm sure we're going to tweet something similar. So it's how these things go. I'd rather it was just between the players, just because it, it feels better then. But when a club admin does it, it always feels a bit cringe. But there you yeah. go. Got to do what you got to do. Um, last thing on the Arsenal game. What did you think of uh, Fabio Vieira, his um, his Premier League Sharp. debut? Yeah, he's, he's got something for sure. He's definitely got something. He looks a di- different player to Erdegaard, doesn't he? The, the people that were saying, well, he's just going to come in and replace Erdegaard. There's a weird faction of Arsenal fans that just don't like him. I, I thought you could see the differences in them quite clearly. Yeah, yeah, it's... It's hard to tell, obviously, with him. We've got a pretty small sample size. I guess people were just going on uh, sort of slight, creative player, mm. not going to be about his physicality or whatever, just about his technical ability. And I guess people ran with that, with the with the Odegaard comparisons. But he does look like he's got one of that, that level of talent where if you saw him for a few games as a club, you went, right, we'll snap him up. Because we said, didn't we, ultimately, I don't think it's, you question necessarily that, the quality of the player just is this what Arsenal needed? Could they have spent this money elsewhere this summer? Yeah. If he's overwhelmingly good enough that you go, well, we'll put everything else aside for this one because he's just like good. It'd be interesting to see if he can be that guy because he does look like he's got something. Well, the comparison that we made with Odegaard and Madison earlier, I think actually is quite applicable in this sense mm-hmm. that Fabio Vieira does feel far more like a final third type player than an orchestrator. And the limited minutes that he had last season, and I, I pointed this out on previous podcasts where people were saying this guy is going to come straight into the first team and he wasn't even straight into the Porto first team. Like he was a bench player more than he started. Mm. Um, I thought you looked at his goal contributions in the minutes he did have and they're very impressive. And if that's something he can bring, because he had, there was a ball he tried playing in his cameo against United that was really, really nice. And it was so close to being pulled off. And then he had a couple of passes in the uh, Europa League game. And I think you can very clearly see what he is. I think his confidence will develop, but he isn't a guy that looks to hold on to the ball too long. It's like, do you ever play the NHL games where you could go for the really simple controls and you basically had a you basically had one to shoot, you're one to pass and one to move? Yeah, yeah, and yeah. That's almost what he is. It's like get it, shift it, whether it's a pass or a shot, and then you carry on. But the pockets of space he picks up in, and you saw that for his goal, he just seems to be one of those players. And maybe it's because of how little he is, but he just finds these perfect little pockets where he's able to affect the game and. It's a great, it's a great goal. You can maybe question Raya and should you be beaten like that from there? But it's a very true strike. He was asked afterwards, and his English still isn't great, but he was asked, and he was almost lucky. And Martinelli is going, don't say that. <laughs> and he says, "I see him practice that every day. That's not luck. That's not luck." But they're quite a good double act, and I think he probably feels more freedom to be able to express himself because of how young the core that are around him like him and Martinelli you can see they both speak Portuguese they're both trying to learn English between them and 
you can see why he would quite naturally fit into this side. And maybe the future of Arteta's system when we're playing probably home games against bottom half teams, I do question if it'll be Erdegaard and Vieira rather than it being Xhaka. But I think we're a long way away from that. I'm thinking purely when City can play like Rodri and then they can play... uh, You really are dreaming. Yeah, yeah. I'm getting very ahead of maybe in the Europe maybe in the Europa League this is what you can try out. I'm not too sure, but um I read an Arsenal journalist that said a lot of the speculation around Vieira is that we're gonna have to wait for this guy to bulk up when the talk within Arsenal is it's the opposite. They aren't encouraging him to really bulk up too much at all, other than the, the kind of general gym work that they mm. would do, because they quite like the idea of having this little tricky player that they can play centrally. I've been somewhat amazed and perplexed at the level of attention that's getting with him. I know he's a skinny guy and I know you're coming to England, you're going to have to bulk up a little bit naturally. But it's like we're not in the like 70s or 80s where we thought small players can't thrive. It's not like we don't have a collection of them that all have done. So I think that's being, I think that's being played up a little bit. If he's going to end up, if you say like in the middle of midfield playing a jack or whatever, he's going to have to a little bit. But I do think it's being focused on surprisingly, surprising, surprising amount even from Arsenal fans actually. Well, there was one squad photo where he did look like <laughs> you could kind of snap him in half. But even the commentary yesterday, and I've complained about him already. There's one that probably was a foul, and he goes, "Welcome to the Premier League. You don't get that. Here. You're not used to being fouled like this." In in Europe's top five leagues, the only player that was fouled more than Fabio Vieira last season was Zaha. Wow. And when you compare the minutes that they were featured in, then you can see that this is a guy who won't shy away from getting a kick in. So, I mean, he had Pepe to back him up that time around, so maybe it's a bit different, but I don't think you're going to bully him out of a game by giving him a few nicks. I'm always always slightly amazed at that as well. A player like him would have been coming through the age groups getting kicked because he'd have been better than everyone else, so... Just a one line on Saliba. Um, I don't know if you saw Thomas Frank's interview. He's got Saliba, oof. Yeah, that's, yeah. <laughs> that was good. And I thought he was brilliant again. Um, I didn't think he had his best game against United, but when Rashford's on it, he'll do that to far better defenders um, at this stage of their career than Saliba. So it was back in business. I thought he looked really good. Um and the third goal is obviously set up by how calm he is on the ball, which will backfire at some point, I'm sure. But in this instant, very good. Mm. Yeah, yeah, looks good. There was history made in during this game. Arsenal young talent, um, Ethan Wanneri, became the youngest ever Premier League player. 15 years, 181 days old, born in 2007. Um. I saw a tweet which I've not verified. Someone said he'd have been in primary school when Unai Emery was in charge. <laughs> yeah, yeah, he would, wouldn't he? That is horrible. Yeah. <laughs> I saw someone say, uh, uh, I've never been more right. I saw someone say he's going to be reaching his peak years in 2037. I was like, get me the hell <laughs> off of this train right now. It... It is terrifying. I, I do think there's probably a bit more to it than it being this lovely kind of pure gesture of this is what we do. We're Arsenal. We bring the young players through. 
I know there's a lot more to it now where there's still no rule that prevents you from basically being trained at a club until 16 and then going elsewhere for free. Yeah. Um, until you can get your scholarship. So I do know if I was being cynical, maybe there's something in it that the compensation package Arsenal would receive would be greatly expanded now he's played uh, some senior minutes. Um, I also think Arsenal maybe wanted to address something when you look at Amari Hutchinson, who was... He was getting some flack on life. Really, <laughs> yeah, he was really, really highly thought of at Arsenal. Mm. To the point where you just couldn't believe that he'd go. It was he's going to get Europa League minutes this season, and he would have at this yeah, point. Yeah, yeah. Um, and then he goes to Chelsea, and as soon as the story breaks, whether it's true or not, that he's been given a greater financial package, Chelsea's history tells you you turn your nose up at it, and you go, "Okay, well, you've left for money." Yeah, fucking yeah, it, yeah, basically. Definitely. And I think there was maybe something internally with just reminding these players if you're good enough, you will get minutes. And I think you should have seen that already from Saka and Smith Rowe and Maitland Niles and Reese Nelson and a lot of these other guys that have come through. But maybe it was just something just to kind of refresh everyone's thinking at London Colony and say, look, this is still going to happen here. But he was playing for the under 18s at 14 years old. So it's not like he's just kind of sprung out the blue and they're saying it's just a kind of aimless gesture. Um, it'll be difficult at 15 years old to be able to make an impact just in men's football anyway just because of the size of you it was not like you saw those pictures of Lukaku at 14 <laughs> and it was like you could be playing men's football he still looked like a 15 year old I thought um, but it's always good to see whenever you see a young kid making their debut you have that moment where if he goes on to be the goods, you're going to look back on it and say, I remember that. I remember his debut when he came yeah. on. Or it could be, we're never going to hear this kid again. Or he goes to Man City's academy or Chelsea's academy. And it was, well, look, remember he gave him his debut. Um, I really liked him I think though, that when was the f- those like records tended to be held by someone who was a bit obscure. Like that Briggs had it for a while, didn't they? You were like, well, how's <laughs> this guy? I think as soon as it went 3-0, every Arsenal fan was like, get him on, get him on, get him on. And then it's very un like to do that because the whole start of the season, if you recall, we'd be ahead in games. It was like, well, get Fabio Vieira on now. Yeah, yeah. I mean, he wasn't coming on and he didn't come on against Bournemouth when everyone expected him to make his debut. So maybe he's been alerted to something like, it's worth our time to give him some minutes, but I also don't think Arteta would do it if he didn't have some kind of belief in him. And I know just because of how close they were as teammates, there is quite a clear uh, line of communication between him and Mertesacker, who's the head of the academy. Yeah. And Granite Xhaka is doing his coaching badges at Arsenal. Okay. And I think there's something where you kind of do some individual training with a player and this was the player that Granit Xhaka was linking up with. So I do think there was a lot in there of people feeding back to Arteta saying, this kid's very good. Yeah, it's, it's probably, they do have legitimate belief in him. Potentially, if other clubs are going to come, the vultures are going to be swirling around him. They go, right, you're our guy, trust me, we're playing you. Um, and I do think there's also a certain amount of PR to it. You know, there's a feel-good factor around the club and this kind of helps... Uh, just continue that further 
big time. Now, West Ham, um, I feel we should have a segment whenever someone loses to Everton, <laughs> just because you've disgraced yourself, you've disgraced the league. But we had Connor and Steve on on deadline day and I somewhat joked that Connor had been saying to me constantly, well, it's all well and good signing these players, but David Moyes isn't going to play them, so it doesn't really matter. <laughs> This was the first time I was kind of opened when Creswell's coming back from injury, plays on a Thursday, and then Emerson's benched. Mm. Skimaka scores that peach, and he's benched, although I will acknowledge Antonio's looked as good as I remember him looking since that spell at the start of last season where him and Ben Rama couldn't miss. He looks like there's a renewed focus to his game. He's very direct and everything about it. I don't think he's a hindrance to the team. So I'll maybe give Moyes a pass there. But what what is going on with them? Maybe this is, if we wondered why things were maybe a little quiet around Newcastle, it's because there's teams like Everton and West Ham where you can look at them and go, what is going on with you? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> especially with West Ham, you think they've obviously had a good year last year, made some good signings. Uh, yes, we, we can't blame the Conference League yet, can we, after two fixtures? No, no, I think we can blame some of it with... Sometimes he won't, he will religiously not play someone who's played on the third. So for example, if Skamaka plays, it seems like he is not going to get a game a start on the Sunday. And he might have to look at that. But, but then, like you said, it's not like Antonio's playing well, but his numbers probably aren't. That, that that purple patch you just referenced, he's not quite hitting those sort of numbers. So potentially, yeah. and there is also a time where you go, Antonio's good at what he does. Iskamak is this guy. He's going to have to be start, getting starts soon. But it's, it, well, they just it, look sort of devoid of ideas when you watch them at the minute. Whether it's right or wrong, something we always point to with a new striker is the time it takes them to score their first Premier League mm. goal. And whether they say, look, it doesn't bother me, I'm just going to keep plodding on. With every minute that passes, the narrative online grows and the more you probably question yourself in the moment. They need Skamaka to get that first goal ASAP and giving him bench minutes is not going to help him at all. So if things aren't working, if you're not putting the ball in the back of the net, why not try the two of them together? Yeah, yeah. It's not like your wingers are producing big time because, um, I mean, if we get the binoculars out or the magnifying glass, fraud watch, Jared Bowen, <laughs> you are under surveillance. <laughs> this guy, I've been using that uh, gif of the Simpsons clip of uh, don't make me run, I've got a belly full of chocolate. That is how Jared Bowen runs. <laughs> and it wasn't a good look for anyone involved that yeah, they didn't even really trouble Everton and Everton I do think look more res- resolute this season but I don't know they shouldn't they shouldn't be causing you more trouble at the other end than you're causing them no matter how good you think Neil Mope is no this is it they're, like you said Everton definitely are more resolute and I think away at Goodison is going to be a tricky game even though they're not the best team and West Ham do seem to have a bit of a struggle going away to Goodison as well historically if I'm not wrong so um, there's something there but the yeah because the form of Bowen I do think is a, is a big concern if we if we could have a 
Jack and Steve on to debate uh, Mason Mount versus Bowen again. For the start of this year, it would be a, a phenomenal one. <laughs> Who's been worse? <laughs> the um, Yeah, so in that respect, could you even, if you moved Antonio around before, could you shift him out to that position and stick Skamaka on? I know it's not ideal, but you can mix it up a little bit just because you've got to change something when you're in sort of the slump they're in. With with Antonio and Skamaka up top, it should be that even if things aren't going well, you can literally just punt it forwards. Yeah, and it's where teams don't really do that anymore, these two are a handful, it, it would fuck teams up because they're so not used to seeing that happen. People would be scared stiff. It, it's very strange. Um, I mean, it's insulting that Bowen was ever compared to Saka when I see this when you compare Saka's dip in form and you compare that to Bowen horrible but um, when you've got the Sky Pundits after the game discussing Mope as some kind of mentality monster (laughs) something has seriously gone wrong because I don't want to just put a highlight package of the Merseyside derby in front of you outside of playing Arsenal this guy usually stinks yeah yeah Everton signed a striker who the narrative surrounding him for the last two years has been, oh, look, I mean, good guy, a handful, but doesn't score enough yeah. goals. And to be fair, the goal he scores is because he miscontrols it and it bobbles up. I, I, I don't know. I can't see West Ham hastily getting rid of David Moyes. But I do think they'll probably act faster than Newcastle would. Yeah, I mean, because with, with the signings, because expectations have risen there anyway, just because they've had a couple of good finishes in the league, they should have got, let's face it, in the, that Europa spot last year, they threw it away. So this is a club that's got ambition. And I do think if you do have managers on the market that you think you can attempt, now... I would question if like Poch could go there, for example. But if they think they can get someone near that, and it's let's face it, just on, on a basic, it's a bit sexier than Moyes as an appointment. And with that, obviously the they've got I forget his name, but a minority stake in it. I would assume yeah, that's yeah. with a view to he's going to eventually take over. Potentially, you yeah. might start looking at, at new managers. That that clip from after the game of the reporter calling him Moisey <laughs> so was good. so good. Because he was definitely um, quite he's offended, looking, but he's kind of laughing yeah. a little bit at it. Well, it is a thing, to be fair. Like I've never really had a nickname. I mean, I referenced one during the American Pie podcast, but uh, I don't know if I would even say TK is one where if someone new calls you that, you're going to be kind of screwing your face up but for someone that does have an actual nickname it is weird if someone says it as like their first time addressing you and particularly if you're not it's probably like a teacher started calling you your nickname what you're not my mate like, what are you doing here and so i don't know what's going into this journalist hey, <laughs> yeah, what, um, what does he think he's got that level of, kind of imagine if he'd just gone to fergie like, called him fergie and particularly after a loss I thought Moyes, I mean, I'm not saying he should be booting the place upside down, but I thought you could certainly see a level of him being put out. Like, I'm not sure we're that close, are we? And uh, he was looking around for everyone else to laugh and people don't really seem to back him up in the way I think he was expecting. 
It was so weird. So good though. Um last thing on football then, the England squad was announced. Yeah. Where the hell is Ben White? <laughs> because there was some murmurs about the fact maybe he was injured and then you're playing eighty four minutes the next day. It squashes that one, doesn't it? It it's rough because I don't want our players getting injured on international duty. There are a few things more frustrating than mm-hmm. that happening. But I also have to think for it's been pointed out for Gabriel Jesus and from what Tite has said, it's basically like you're in the squad, but I need you to see some other people just take the opportunity. If Gabriel Jesus started the season in the way that he has, a large part of that is because the World Cup means more to Brazilians than probably any other nation. And so he's really going out to try and prove a point. And it's the same thing why Martinelli's form will have improved. It's the same way that Richarlison will be upping his game. It's the same thing that will be on Anthony's mind at United. If you then don't make the squad for your international team, Arteta said he almost has to pull those players aside and just reassure them to just keep doing everything it is that they are doing. Don't let it drop. And effectively, you prove you proved them wrong for not selecting you. Because the last thing he wants is, them to, well, if I'm not going to get in anyway, maybe I don't run this extra five yards. Maybe I don't push myself that little bit harder. And it's a very weird one. And with Ben White, for a team that prides itself on versatility so much, we usually spend half of our uh, squad selection pods doing the, well, he can play three yeah. positions. He can only play one. You're out. Ben White can play in like three or four positions at a high level. And still, he's not in the squad behind some players who, look, people are going to say that it's anti-Spurs or whatever. I don't see how Eric Dyer can be in a squad over Ben White. I don't see how Harry Maguire is still in the mm, squad. Yeah. And I do, I do have some sympathy that okay, we're two months before an international tournament, but it's not even like these ones with Harry Maguire snuck up on you. Like, he's been playing shit for about a year. And Ben White has been making the squads. Well, the last the last squad, even if he's saying the, well, you've been playing out of position, Ben White was played at right back in the last fixture he played for England. <laughs> yeah, we haven't been shy. Of, I said to you the other weekend, we haven't been shy of moving people around, playing, you know, tripping at left back, playing Walker as a, as a centre-half. So, yeah, the, he's playing out of position one doesn't doesn't quite stack up. The uh, Yeah, I, I said to you, I thought, when I initially saw that Ben White wasn't in, I thought, wow, he's obviously going, you'll be there. It's just a case of I need to look at some other people. And then you looked at the squad and be like, well, there's no one really that you're thinking he needs to have a closer look at. Maybe Gurhi again, but that's about it. Yeah, I, I don't quite... I don't quite get the logic there. He's probably, I'd say probably our only centre half you could have an argument for being better at the minute is John Stones. But again, that's I don't think there's much in that. And he's been played at right back as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's, uh, yeah, it's, it, I don't really understand the logic behind it. And if that means he's not going to the tournament, then I would have some real concerns. I think Dyer's well, done well at Spurs, for example, but I do, I would worry about him playing for England. 
But he also, in his last press conference for England selection, was saying, well, there's a reason we aren't picking Eric Dyer. It's because the system that he plays at Spurs is nothing like the one that we play for England. And so until he's playing, I think this was when he was kind of hinting he was going to go for a back four. Mm. Um, He was saying that he, he wouldn't be able to pick him. But it's like Cody and Maguire's positions in the squad are nailed. Yeah, it does appear and that then way. the other players are fighting for what the remaining two or three. When I mean, you can tell me Cody's played as well as you want to tell me, he's not been playing better than he's not been playing better than Eric Dyer. He's not been playing better than Ben White. He's not been playing better than Tamori. So it's like I don't know what the hell is going on here with this guy. The Luke Shaw one I sympathise with because he has tried to look at other left-backs and essentially there's no other left-back that has told him in their performances, I'm good enough for you to rely on me full-time. And maybe if Tyrek Mitchell wasn't at Crystal Palace, people would look at it differently. Maybe if Walker Peters wasn't at Southampton, people would look at it differently. But neither of those have done that to the point where you can say, why is Luke Shaw in this squad? I still did it on Twitter. Um, <laughs> he, needs, he needs Chilwell to have a run at Chelsea really probably, doesn't he? Yeah. At this point. But then in midfield, like, by the way, I'll ask your thoughts on Calvin Phillips in a second because it looks like he, he might not no. be in the tournament, but he's not played a, has he played a minute for Man City in the league? He's played game? a minute, I think was the start. And, and he's being picked in the squad. And you might look, be 10. I might be exaggerating. Mason Mount and the start to the season he's mm. had and it's like well why are you in the squad you look at Jared Bowen and it's like well, why are you in the squad but his one definitely feels tenuous because you think he wasn't a mainstay of the squad he was kind of a, in and around it so once you hit out that form that you should you would think your place is vulnerable someone like Mount was never going to be dropped whether we like that it would have been interesting if Rashford was fit what happened there well I think that is probably if we think, if we sort of project how things will go, I think that will probably be a swap that's made. And even Sancho, like Sancho's had a better start to the season than Jared Bowen. Yeah, yeah, that one game alone. I think it's a tricky one with, remember when Wilshire was dropped by Allardyce, like his first squad, and it was like, I'm going to try and prove a point here. And then I'm almost certain one of the main midfielders got injured. But he couldn't then call up Wilshire as his replacement because the main point he'd been making was, I'm moving on from you, basically. Yeah. And I do question if some of this with Sancho and Rashford has kind of been like, I can't bring you back in that soon after I've dropped you out. Yeah, probably. Like, my point hasn't really been made yet. Yeah, yeah. And he can hope that they have this pick up a run of form between now and the tournament and, and get them back in. There's enough of a case of, you know, well, look, I couldn't not pick them. And I think there's some of it with yeah. some of these other players, I think. If he is going to pick Maguire, I think him dropping in from this squad would have become a story. And I think potentially he's going, I don't want to totally lose him here, so I'll keep him in. It's not great. I think that feels a bit sort of cowardly. So you got to be able to manage that. But look, I think that factors into the decision. I think he's picking Trent because he's sick of being asked about picking Trent. I don't think, he's shown he doesn't fancy him when Trent was playing well. So how are you going to pick him now when he's starting as bad as he's played? I think the only thing I can give him props for is he does look like he has the striker situation 
on point mm. and not even just because I like the players he's picked, but it does seem like if you are building a system, okay, I can look at Tammy Abraham, Ivan Tony, and Harry Kane and say, if one of those drops out, I'm comfortable yes. in the other one stepping in and being able to play in the same kind of way. Uh, maybe not dropping as deep as Kane, but no one, no one's going to. I mean, that could be um, beneficial for us, to be honest. I mean, someone like yeah. Tony or Abraham might, you know, say it quietly, might actually be a better stylistic fit for us. Just Kane's just that good. On the wing, I think Saka seems to be a mainstay for him now. Foden, it's probably only Foden Sterling, to be fair. That'll, that'll irritate me. Foden on Mount. Um, yeah. Well, Mount is going to be in there. That's that's the crazy thing. Yep. Is we have these players, and we spoke about England, which is why well, I didn't want to spend too long on it, but we spoke about England right, probably the first selection after the tournament last summer. Mm-hmm. And we were saying, okay, how do you move forward? I think it was when Southgate just got a new deal. And I said there should not be an international fixture until the World Cup where it's not Jude Bellingham and Declan Rice starting in the middle of the park. And we haven't done that. We're still kind of chopping and changing and this and that. And I I wonder, I wonder what he's going to do because Calvin Phillips has become such an integral part, but we've also seen what picking half-injured players can do for England before. Um, although you do have a slightly bigger squad going into this tournament. Um it's very interesting that the Ben White one was the one where, whether it's um, because of my biases or not, it just felt very, very strange um, to not have him in there. And Southgate seemingly hasn't addressed it as far as I've seen. Um, so I don't really know what's going on. I'm sure he'll be asked at his press conference before Friday's game. I was surprised not to see him in. He was the only, I thought, glaring omission for all. There's always some uproar about the squad. I'm rarely quite as sort of moved on it as some people are because I, I never think it's that outrageous for most of the picks, but some of them every now and again can be. And, and this Ben White one, I did think was, I, I don't think most of those are better than him or have started better than him. Um, and so it's it's difficult to know this close to tournament is he is this what he's going to be very, very closely resemble what he's going to pick, which you would assume it is? Or is he trying out a couple of players just as a last sort of last minute thing? But it, some of his issues are, obviously saying I'm going to pick on form, people will then pick you up on that quote. And it's never going to be solely on form because you are going to have some, no. you know, you've got a spine of a squad and it's kind of got to shape around that. You can't just change it or else you'd have very different squads every time you met up. But that's kind of, in the case of Ben White, he's picked him before and he's informed. So it would feel like, especially as, if I'm right in saying, didn't Ben White get sort of like the last spot in a year or so? He squad? did, yeah. So he obviously he does fancy him. And rightly or wrongly, going to a bigger club normally enhances your chances of getting picks. Mm. And he's playing well at Arsenal. So strange all round, really. Well, statistically, there are 15 English centre-backs playing better than Harry Maguire this season. And that's going on who scored metrics of you know, headers, clearances, and they do their ratings to try and determine how you're playing overall. You could have just said playing, in fairness. Yeah. When, when we're getting down to Tyrone Mings and Steve Cook, <laughs> I mean, so many other names, Joe Gomez, Ben Mee, Dan Byrne, Max Kilman, Tarkovsky, Lloyd Kelly, Nat Phillips, Tyrone Mings, Callum yes. Chambers, Joe Worrell, 
some rough it's stats. like maybe this guy shouldn't be being picked when I actually think he's a guaranteed starter. Yeah, you might be right. It's, if it's a four, it's probably going to be Maguire Stones. If it's a five, it's going to be Maguire Stones Walker. Yeah, yeah, you're probably right. It's difficult because we've had concerns about teams going into these tournaments and they have played well often. So it's hard to argue with him. And the, the he hasn't let England down thing is a bit overplayed at times, I think because you could put someone really good in this team and they might not let you down either. Well, let's carry on picking Danny Wells. Then, if that's yeah, the, case. The, the difficulty obviously is we've had a, a small amount of time with Maguire this season not really playing. If we have another couple of months of that, at what point does it go, I can't play this guy because he just hasn't played? Well, he didn't even play him in the last Europa League game. Yeah, yeah, I think the manager's making pretty plain that he doesn't fancy him. So if your club um, manager doesn't, I'm not sure what the the international manager can do. Imagine if Mings had made the squad, Gerard would have been looking. How the fuck has this guy made? Yeah. It? <laughs> um, off the football, then last things to close out today. The big event for us this weekend was Canelo Triple G, um, third time meeting. I don't think many people asked for it, but. We were still going to watch it. A tough watch, really. Um, one of the things that we're the most critical of is when someone seemingly accepts the loss mid-fight. And the scorecards didn't reflect the fight that we saw. And if only they'd been so generous to Triple G about three years ago, maybe we'd be talking slightly differently. Yeah, but like they've been generous after the event, didn't they? Yeah. I I don't want to see Triple G smiling and flexing on his way back to his dressing room after just losing to what's supposedly his biggest rival in the sport. That tells me where you are with your career and what your goals were coming into this fight. I didn't think it was a good look. No, no, definitely not. And Someone who was less popular, I think, would have been getting caned for it, wouldn't they? Um that wasn't a good look, and but then the the bigger thing that wasn't a good look was how he actually performed. It was a it was a pretty horrible watch. And I thought it would potentially go a little bit more like the beginning of the Morata one, where he just looked slow and horrible and looked like he didn't have yeah. it. I didn't think he looked that bad, but he, he didn't look that bad because he didn't really do anything. He was just very conservative, and yeah, as you said, as a result, probably happy to go. That's what you kind of thought well, there'd be a retirement here because he go, well, I survived, yeah. got a massive paycheck. Not much else for me to do, but the idea that I've still got that fire is like, well, you didn't really show us that. Well, Canelo didn't have to do anything particularly special to beat him. It wasn't like uh, when the second fight happened, there was a clear adjustment in Canelo's game plan in that he allowed Triple G to press forward and he was on the back foot and he was moving around and he was picking up the points. And it was a really great performance, regardless of how you think the fight should have been hmm. scored. This time around, it was. It could have been anyone that he was against, and it almost felt like you know when we say with Man City where Pep's like, well, we don't really we don't adjust our style of play for who we're facing. We play the same way regardless, and that's kind of how it felt with Canelo, and that shouldn't be how it is when you're facing Golovkin. If you took away who you knew Golovkin was, you'd think this was a routine mandatory for Canelo, wouldn't you? In a way, where he said he didn't really go for the gears. 
but just did what he had to do. And the other guy didn't have yeah. anything for him. Uh, it was very much, if you consider the quality on show, like you said, regardless of what you think of the results, in those first two fights, this was, I mean, very much the godfather part for you, wasn't it? But but obviously yeah. the difference being we were going, people expected things from the godfather part for you. We were going into it expecting this to be of poor quality yeah. and it kind of was. How much of this is on Canelo? I've seen people almost as if they've only just realised he's now had a 20-year-plus pro career. <laughs> was this a case of him slowing down or was this a case of he didn't have to do any more than that to win? Yeah, I'm, I'm not... The thing is, he potentially could be slowing down, but at the same time, did you think he had to like smash Triple G out of there? If nothing else, Triple G's tough to the end. So... I mean, I, I don't know how much this was impacting him, but him saying about that surgery on that hand that he's going to have to have, I thought it was interesting that he said, well, it's been affecting me since the Caleb Plant fight. I thought that's interesting. That's funny enough that you had a loss in between these two things. Oh, by the way, I actually do have an injury I'm carrying. I thought it was quite convenient. But the uh, yeah, you are right that all it took was... Uh, a bad performance against Bivol well, not even a bad performance just a loss um, and people are starting to go oh yeah this guy's been fighting since he was 15 he's got a lot of miles on the clock maybe it's just the Eddie Hearn effect though <laughs> that might maybe. be a loss out of just about anybody <laughs> um, the first person to call out Triple G post fight was you, Chris Eubank Jr not like him is this something where if we ignore the fact that he's facing Conor Ben? Is that a fight where you look out for Triple G and you go, oh, I don't want to see you in there with him? Or is this one where you go, look, you're not good enough to beat Canelo anymore. I feel quite comfortable with you going in there with this guy. Yeah, that's the thing. The Triple G obviously was so good that he probably can beat most of the other contenders. But you would be... You'd be in two minds with him with anyone, I think. If you threw him in with Charlo, you'd be going like... Do I need to see that? Who who would you pick if Eubank fought Morata tomorrow? That's a good question. Oh. Because we were comfortable with Triple G going into that fight. And so the question is then, is Eubank a higher level than Morata? You might pick Morata points, mightn't you? I think he, he can be busy and he's tough enough that Eubank probably isn't going to out-tough him. So yeah, you might pick Morata points. But then... Again, we've we've just had two tough fights with Triple G on top of that one. So as much as we're comfortable going into the Morata fight, with he's only diminishing. He's not getting better here. Um, and when you he looked gun shy, didn't he? Let's face it, he looked like he didn't want to let let the hands go yeah. or couldn't just couldn't react in time. And so as a result, putting him in with anyone who's young and and at it, you'd feel bad about. And let's face it, we don't want to see him going out as a shell of himself against someone who he would have beaten. No. There's one thing, he might have always lost to Canada, we don't know. So, you can live with that, doing it against someone who, even though, you know, like you, mate, who wouldn't have really beaten him in his prime, it would it would feel very tainted all round. And then Canelo spent the post-fight calling out uh, Benavidez. Was this more to do with him really wanting to fight Benavidez or not wanting to rematch Bivol just quite yet? Well, I mean, he didn't really spend the, the press of calling out Benavidez. He was kind of goaded into it. They kind of kept asking him to the point where he has literally said, guys, I'll fight anyone. I've shown this. Please show me some respect, which which I don't think is unfair. 
Um, and as, as he always said, I don't fucking care. And he just kept saying that. Um, he was talking about his dad yeah, and the disrespect. His and, stuff, and, I, and people pulled him up on the fact that Canelo in an interview had said he didn't want to fight a fellow Mexican. And people were saying, oh, is that, you know, is that a rule or is that a, a duck? And he's going, well, look, I, I don't want it because I fight, I represent Mexico, but I will do it. You know, I've shown I'll fight anyone. And he did fight Chavez Jr. So um, I don't really, I never quite got that thing with people who said, well, Benavides is the guy. Now I think no, no. I've started to see a little bit more with Benavides and obviously if there is a bit of a dip with Canelo, we're leveling things back out a bit. So and Benavides is a big man. So I would be interested at least, but I do think there's a lot of fights with Canelo that are interesting. I I'm surprised that you're going, right, it has to be Benavides next. From his point of view, you'd probably take that over the Bivol fight, wouldn't you? It's probably an all Mexican affair yeah. is better. You probably got worst equal chance of winning than probably fancy yourself a bit more against Benavides. And the Bivol fight is always going to be there if you want to rematch him. What's, um, I'm forgetting his name, um, the other Mexican fighter that we thought they were kind of teeing up that Mungu? fight for a while. Yeah. Yeah. I'd, I still, I'd still, I'd like to see him in Triple G, to be honest. He's savage. Um, see what dog is left in Triple G. But yeah, I think the Benavides one probably will be next. Um, I think Canelo take a bit of time off. And then we'll see if it kind of renews what he's got within him. I wouldn't be shocked if the next person Canelo faces is one John Ryder. Hmm. I think he has one fight left on his disown deal. Okay. Yeah, you could be right then. And then he can go as a free agent to go and fight Benavidez. I mean- if that happens, Bivol has every right to be going to them. Hang on a minute here, lads. He's got one fight yeah, left. You yeah. should be throwing him back in with me. But again, but then is Munguia with his own? Uh, that's a good question. I don't know who he's... He was, is whether yeah. he still is. Yeah, as ever with them. It's, he was, how long yeah. have they got? The, um, I guess the other thing is, well, if, would it be doing him a favour or not if, if Bivol was to lose to Zerlo? Does that, free him up where Canelo can just even forget about Bivol or then does he get in reserve which would be again another huge fight as well yeah um well elsewhere just to close things out we did have quite a mad weekend in the NFL just a bit um if I just ask you about the various headlines so Brady's four straight regular season defeats against the Saints was the longest run of his career and then it took until the fourth quarter but he did get one over on them in the end. Yeah, I mean, one of the number of games where it was just seemed to be, I don't think you could look at the game too much. There's just so much happenstance, so much like just weird things going on. Um, I thought the focus on Brady's record with them was a little bit odd anyway. I mean, okay, he's lost a lot to this. He's played so long that you're probably going to have a record against somebody <laughs> that isn't great. Um, and how many, he would have every right to go, how many rings have they been winning in that time? So, I thought, and obviously they don't have um, Peyton anymore either. So, no. so this, he's. I don't know what the coaching set up, if it's as good there anymore. So it's him against Brady. It's, it's a totally different story now. Mike Evans and Lattimore both being ejected was one of the many headlines of that game. Um, Red Zone hyped up a bit too much to us. They told us punches were thrown. Yeah, I mean. 
certainly weren't landed if they were thrown, were they? There wasn't much going on, but good to see them getting into it. I like that. They think Evans is going to get a suspension off the back of that. Yeah, he does go steaming in, doesn't he, for not a lot of reason, really. Well, they say they said it earlier in the red zone, the fact that those two just do not yeah. like each other. So I think this was one of them like, Any excuse? okay, I've got an opportunity here. <laughs> um, talking of uh, streaks, Aaron Rodgers extended his over the Chicago Bears. Both stayed up for it last mm-hmm. night. Um after a slightly shaky start, it was business as usual. Yeah, pretty much total dominance, isn't it? Um, he owns them. He owns them. Simple as that. Eight in a row against the Bears now. Yeah. I mean, look, he's the Packers are a very good regular season team. The Bears are pretty shit and have been for at least a decent while. So it's not the most surprising stat, is it? No. Aaron Jones probably stole the show more than Rodgers. Yeah. And... Not sure how much I liked Rogers in his interview after the game, saying how similar it's going to be to last season. Have a pretty uh, incredible ability to just forget, don't they? Just go, no, no, that, that <laughs> the way it ended didn't happen. It was just an MVP season. Then we, the rest, the the postseason didn't actually happen. It's going to be interesting to see with them whether, you know, I wrote about it at the end of last year with the Aaron Jones, AJ Dillon two punch. It's about as good a yeah. weapon as you can have uh, for running if you don't have a outstanding unbelievable running back to have those two it's great to be able to mix it up but at the same time week two of the season running backs are probably always going to have their way it's going to be deeper into the season when you can tell yeah. and that's where it just hasn't worked quite as well in the, in the postseason and the big thing really for this weekend if you were telling someone to watch Red Zone for the first time then I think they would have got their Christ. money's worth um, we had just a weekend of big comebacks and frantic finishes fumbles all over the shop my guy, Tua, <laughs> six touch six touchdowns thrown for the Miami Dolphins, and they came back from twenty one points behind to beat the Baltimore Ravens and cost me an accumulator. Actually, um, the best game of his NFL career. What looked like it was going to be a big game for Lamar Jackson and defensively this is one of them where I think the quarterback can look at his bench and say what more can I do yeah, what the hell are you doing to me here it was it was vintage Lamar he showed us a bit of everything um, yeah he had three touchdowns thrown and one rushing one yeah, yeah he was he shows everything he could he could do um, it, one thing about the, for all the crazy turnarounds it was a great week for some of the quarterbacks. Obviously, to uh, some of the balls he was throwing, he's got he has got an arm on him. He's throwing some darts, and him, I think, Kyler Murray, the way he ends up turning it around was unbelievable as well. So, it was a great uh, a great advert for some of these quarterbacks who want to be the next guy. Are we calling this? Um, is this the standard for Tua moving forward, or are you expecting it to be back in business um, <laughs> next week? Because um, Luke that was on uh, on our Deadline Day podcast, he decided last season, new NFL fan, he was going to dive in with the Dolphins. Nice. Text me at the start of the game like, I know you like him, but oh, two is very frustrating. <laughs> and then a couple of hours later, it's like, okay, two, this guy. <laughs> and Steve, actually, Steve has decided 
he's getting into NFL this season and he's gone for the Dolphins oh, as well. And he texts me similar. I mean, you, you can't be asking for that, that from him every week. Um, but it should hopefully give him some confidence because he's been getting questioned pretty much since he started. But They tried replacing him yeah, this summer. Yeah, and from the jump, it's been, oh, is this guy good enough? Without us even really getting a chance to see if he's good enough. Um, that's the best I've seen him myself. Um, yeah. Even just, yeah, just the way he was throwing some of them was, was great. That one to Tyree to end it was phenomenal. Um, and he's obviously got weapons now as well. He's got some serious weapons, so he can't really have many excuses. But I would like to see him kick on because he's not being spoken about much. And if he can, that'd be a, yeah, I'd, I'd like that. The Browns looked like they were going to go 2-0. and And then, <laughs> I mean, I think they've got far more to come, but karma works its way back. You get rid of my guy, Baker for a guy which we don't even need to talk mm. about. And you're 13 points up with under 90 seconds left on the clock against the New York Jets. <laughs> it's, the Jets. it's like every ingredient you want to say, yeah, this one, Vince Carter hands this over. Joe Flacco, and for then, God's sake. Yeah, <laughs> two touchdown passes to Corey Davis and Garrett Wilson. 31-30 victory. It says a lot about the Jets. I think there's like 13 seconds left on the clock when they get their touchdown. And even some of their defensive unit looks a bit, oh, whoa, I'm a bit worried here. Uh, you mentioned Kyler Murray and the comeback. They had a 29-23 win against the Raiders after being 20-0 down at halftime. Any regrets from Devontae Adams just yet? Or is he uh, comfortable living in Vegas? Yeah, I'm sure he's comfortable. The uh, picking up the salary probably ain't bad either. With Packers and Raiders, will probably have a similar sort of year. Probably have okay regular season, then crash out in the post. Um, the Rams survived after racing into a 28-3 lead and then held out for a 31-27 win. On the other side of last season's uh, Super Bowl teams. Things are looking ropey for the Bengals. Yeah, they'd supposedly sorted out that O-line to protect Joe Burrow. And I don't know, maybe reinvest your money again, lads, because it doesn't look to have done anything. <laughs> um, he can only get you out of trouble so much. And he, he, hasn't, he hasn't started on fire either, but at some point you've got to help him out because last year was a great story. But you can't be overcoming those odds every week and every year because yeah, didn't happen. he throw like four interceptions last week? Yeah, or some events yeah, like yeah. that. Yeah, so like me on Madden. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's, look, the, the Rams don't look stellar either, do they? So both those teams that are in the Super Bowl do look like they've got questions about them. Uh, but they are they have put the numbers on the board at least um, for the Bengals. That's now two last gasp kicks, and they're zero and two to start the season. Yeah, yeah, and, and not in you know when you're playing the Cowboys. No Dak, you've got to be thinking we're gonna we're gonna do a little bit better than that. Russell Wilson was booed last week. Comes into this week and the fans They again, are unforgiving. Yeah, they win nineteen six, but the fans were clearly expecting better. Yeah, it was odd because they were really proper sort of vociferous and I was thought this is an odd thing where this is, you know, midway through the game here. It's not like you're and you yeah. You're not throwing it away. I know it, it's the Texans. And when comms were trying to give Russ a bit of praise, I was thinking, it's the fucking Texans. If he gets out, he's going <laughs> life and death with this team and we've got some problems. 
Um, yeah, I, w- I was surprised how quickly the fans sort of got on their back, but that kind of did add some interest to that game. And a, f- a front office never needs too much to uh, pat themselves on the back. After being criticised for spending too much for a backup quarterback, Trey Lance goes off with a broken ankle out for the season and Jimmy G steps in, 27-7 victory, and they now have him for the rest of the season. And he won't get injured, so they can be sa- they can be sound <laughs> on that one. They can sleep, sleep well at night with that. I'm sure they aren't pleased that Lance has gone down, but they're probably more pleased than they would be if they hadn't spent that cash a week ago. Yeah, and it's also it's not it's not great, but all would have had to happen for Trey Lance was him to have a couple of bad weeks and there would have been, oh, should Jimmy be starting? At the very least, you've solved that conundrum. You don't have to make a decision. The decision is made for you. It's a bit cowardly, but look, it's done. Um yeah, not ideal for them if they thought they're gonna build around Trey Lance, but there's also potentially a repackaging of this season of what would they have done if Trey Lance had stayed fit? which probably belies yeah. the fact that they probably been quite up and down with him at quarterback anyway. Um, the Colts, who managed a draw with the Texans last week, followed that up with a 24-0 defeat to the Jags. <laughs> when teams are keeping clean sheets against you, it's a bad look. They looked like they wanted to keep that clean sheet as well. There's one where Mike Ryan's throwing it in the end zone. They were celebrating like it was like life and death. I was thinking they don't like getting the clean sheet. Do they? Yeah. Trevor Lawrence um, is great, by the way. He looks like he's mm, becoming that guy that people thought. Yeah. About time. Um, the Pats avoided an 0-2 start for the first time since 2001. A defensive battle with the Steelers. Two teams who, every so often you get a six o'clock game where you decide you're going to watch that over red zone. If it's either of those teams, yeah, probably not. No, neither of them are going to be fun to watch, are they? Never going to be too many points on the board, I don't think. Uh, If they're playing in your garden, you close the curtain sort of job. And the same applies to the New York Giants and the Carolina Panthers. Um, I tried to go against Baker to try and kick him into action this week. Didn't work again. Um, I don't feel good that myself and Skip are kind of beating the same drum <laughs> but I've still got hope and what is it going to be a contract year for him next year yeah 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 so it's probably needs to buck his ideas up soon because uh, we can't be blaming the surgery that you needed to have still this season um, if you've already got that done no and the Panthers felt like uh, sort of not a good team but not a terrible team a borderline team so if you're this guy you should be able to elevate them. And it, it just isn't, even that game, he wasn't bad, but he's not changing things for them. And if you, you're that guy, you've got to be able to win some of these games on your own. Yeah, so that was the week in NFL, obviously. Um, we'll have plenty more across the week. Was it the Bills playing tonight? Yep, Bills, Titans. <laughs> Rough for those Titans. <laughs> yeah, won't be one I'll be staying up for, but... I think that just about wraps us up. So thank you again for listening to another edition of the Spitballing Pod on this bank holiday Monday. We'll be back next week. Will there be more than two of us? I'm not too sure. Uh, Tune in for Movie Madness later this week. We have Sicario against Below. Tune in for that. Adios.